In the 18th century in Central Europe, a black terror swept across the face of the land. The curse of vampirism, which had been a half-forgotten memory for hundreds of years, returned with a fury that struck unholy fear into the hearts of every man, woman, and child. One man dared to make a stand against this evil epidemic. One man dared to hurl a challenge of cold steel against the terror of the undead. He was Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. Hello and welcome back to Streamatics Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I am sitting here with my co-hosts, Allie Chapel and Paul Farrell. And it has been... Uh, Actually, I guess it hasn't been that long. It's been about a week since our last episode. It just feels like a long time because we took so much of a break before that. But it's 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 only been about seven days since we last chatted. How is everyone this evening? Good, Good man. Splendid. Allie? Uh, no, I'm doing this night. I'm, like, full of food, and I'm, like, cozied up on the couch with, like, my alcohol, and I'm, like, ready to watch Kronos. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Your, your voice sounded deeper and... Kind of like huskier there for a second. <laughs> like sounded a little just just tad sad. No, okay. Like, look, we're we're just we're not gonna gild the lily at all or whatever. I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, fuck it. Vanderbilt, how's it going? Do you want to be the fourth co-host of Hammer Pop? You're welcome. <laughs> Basically, that's how it goes. If you make it to your second episode, you're an honorary co-host. I think this is his so, third episode. This is my third, so I think I'm this running is this his third. Also, oh, it's not even up to you. Yeah, I think it's officially just goes. your show at this point. <laughs> All right, listen. I have a bad. I have a bad reputation. Everybody thinks that I'm the one who takes things, everything over that I I, I, I join. <laughs> it's like I don't want any more responsibility. I just want to be. <laughs> the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. There you go. There you go. All right, There's zero out there. Put your hands together, everyone listening, for Mike Vanderbilt returning for his third episode of Hammer Pub. Newly restored to Twitter, at least since the last episode that you listened to. Um, and uh, which, by the way, justice was finally done. Thanks. Thanks so much there. Uh, what, by the way, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Yeah. What the hell was it that finally got you back on Twitter? Uh, got me back on. Yeah, was it was honestly I was about ready to be done with it, and a this is a lawyer friend of mine who comes to the bar, who comes to the Rock Island Public House, said to me, "Do you want me to see what I can do?" And I said, <laughs> "Fine, let's you know here's the case number, blah blah blah. Take a look." That was on a Sunday, so I'm working my Tuesday shift, and I get a notice from Twitter that they're not going to restore me. I'm like, "Well, that's it. I'm done." And then within like 15, 20 minutes, I started getting notifications and there were people that knew I was back on before I was back on. And uh, yeah, I talked to my lawyer friend and she knew somebody who knew somebody who worked uh, in that particular area of law. That's how the lawyers are. Like nobody knows everything, but somebody knows somebody that can help with that and uh, called in the favor and got me back on. And I'm just going to be a little bit more careful about uh copyright i suppose <laughs> i love such a that, it, that i got banned too it wasn't even a very good story 
you 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 got lawyers involved. That's amazing. Up until you said she, I was going to ask if it was Larry Zerner because anytime <laughs> the law and horror have anything to do with one another, it's always fucking Larry Zerner. But um, no, well, that's know, amazing. I'm so glad you're back. When when you've been around long enough, and if you're not like a complete dick, you make friends, and you have friends in all sorts of walks of life, and it's funny how people will end up helping you out. Which is why you should just be well. You should be nice to anybody anyway, but you never know when you might need to call in that favor, right? <laughs> That's the only reason I'm nice to people is to call in favors later. <laughs> it's a good strategy. I mean, it seems like it works. You know, as long as you're nice, like, what does it matter? What's the reason you're being nice, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I think that's fair. It's a good moral. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, it has been a while. Mike, a little longer for you. We, we've we all taken a break here for a bit, but uh, tell you what, let's go ahead and dive into our recent watches before we get to the movie at hand that we're going to provide a commentary for. Mike, go ahead and start us out. What have you seen recently that you'd like to talk about? Well, it's it has been a while. So in the interim, I did, a, I mean, I don't think I need to go into Halloween Kills. If you want to, if you want to hear us shit all over it on the Halloweenies podcast, go ahead. Can and I say one I, uh, thing? I, oh, you go ahead. No, Paul, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, Mike, um, I'm like almost done listening to that episode. And it's, <laughs> it is it is truly an epic uh, uh, deep dive into <laughs> its many problems. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm having get, a blast with that episode. Well, man. I'm, it's I'm glad some people, I mean, look, it's. It is a movie podcast, but we all fancy ourselves comedians, too. So it's also a comedy show. Yeah, um, but yeah. I'm the one. I mean, I think I liked it the most. I gave it three stars, if for all the wrong reasons. I, I'm kind of in your boat. I also gave it three stars, but I agree with everything you guys said. <laughs> like, I, Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I'm on the same page. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a bad movie. But what I I mean, the point that I made on the show and the point I've made in talking about Halloween Kills, because, you know, it was all the scuttlebutt for the month of October, is that it is a bad movie, but it thinks it's so really doing something important. And that's what makes it so goddamn <laughs> funny. <laughs> I would not give it three stars. Um, I will say that I love that episode, too. It is it is a marathon. It's nearly four hours, is it not? Um yeah. I, I listened to it in segments and it was uh, 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 one of my favorite podcast like listening experiences like no ass kissery here. I mean this. It's 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 a hell of a listen. And uh, I thought I had a pretty good handle on all the reasons that I didn't like the movie only to discover about 70 more after listening to that episode <laughs> that and was I my say, experience <laughs> like, you, i was like you, oh i guess i don't like I, I don't like it even more than i thought i did like it. <laughs> i will say there's two kinds of fans in this world there's fans who will love anything that comes out under the ip that they have dug since they were a child they will love it unconditionally and then there's ones who love that original ip so much that they just cannot abide by anything that kind of deviates or like that they don't perceive isn't as good as it originally was. I think Halloween and Star Wars are two great examples of that, especially now with this uh, run of Halloween films, because uh, I don't think anybody could. We do get bad reviews. We get we get quite a few bad reviews and say, how do you guys do this show when you obviously don't even like movies? It's like, well, we like the first one. It's just all the sequels that are bad. <laughs> I will say you have forever. I, will, I won't say ruined. You have forever changed the entire franchise for me by just a little bit and in a marvelous way, because I will from here on out only ever refer to Michael Myers, not as the shape, 
but simply as Halloween. This is so funny to me because that's anybody who listens to the show, especially when I get first time listeners, people who I know who, you know, outside of this horror Twitter world, like in real life, they are just tickled to death by the Halloween bit. And I thought it was, you know, it's low hanging, it's low hanging humor, but I, I was fun. I thought it was funny too. And if you guys inside baseball, what kept me going on it is every time I did it, you know, we do it via zoom call. I would see Justin just cracking up. (laughs) So I had my audience right there. (laughs) It's good. It's a good bit. (laughs) You say it's low hanging fruit, but it's a 40 year old franchise. And I've never heard anybody refer to Michael Myers simply as the title of the movie. It it even makes that damn sequel title hilarious to me. Halloween kills. Oh, that's what what it is. Like, what do you mean? Halloween kills This is the stupidest title I've ever heard. I was helping him. I wanted to help my old uh, yeah. DGG. Oh, man. <laughs> I love it. But All right. not, here, I want to go. I want to talk about some cool stuff that I watched, though. Yeah. Uh, so it was we wrapped up the Music Box of Horrors drive in and uh, my big double feature that I I programmed that I was really uh, excited about. I did a 2005's House of Wax and Waxwork. And uh, 2005's House of Wax you know, it's slow going. The first half is a drag, but the second half uh, it's kind of movie. is what? I'm sorry. It's an amazing movie. Like, I love that film. I have the poster, like, framed in my bedroom. Yeah, you know, more in common with, uh, what do I want to say, more in common with Tourist Trap than, uh, you know, the original House of Wax. But it just, it, it kind of has to drag its ass through all of that uh, 2000s hillbilly horror kind of stuff to get to the really cool and inventive uh, stuff with the actual house of wax and the special effects. So I dug still two and a half stars, but that rare two and a half star movie that I like, but I paired it with wax work, which is one of my all time favorites. And we had a lot of first timers there for that one. So I was going around the lot, you know, asking people and we retained most of the crowd and, you know, it was, at the end of the movie, you know, when, uh, you know, Leslie Gorse tune starts playing over the credits, I had never heard a reaction at a drive-in, any of the drive-ins that I've been to for a movie. The honking was wild. I think people really enjoyed that one. And it was, I had that moment where, as someone who's loved horror his whole life and has seen all this stuff, I'm thinking, waxwork, programming waxwork's no big deal. Like, we've all seen waxwork here. But for people 10... 20 years younger than us and have not you know been around as long they might be seeing it for the first time and they absolutely adored it it was great that's awesome it is funny when you think about like uh, what deep cut means to like certain people like i i just started a job last week or was it the week before fucking time has no meaning anymore but um i i have a co-worker who's a huge horror fan like she she's talked about loads of horror movies like and i haven't had that at a day job in a while so it's great to be working like yeah. elbow to elbow with somebody yeah. who really likes horror movies but i i one of our first conversations i happened to mention dr sleep and she was like oh i haven't seen that and i'm like oh it's great it's the sequel to the shining and she was like oh the shining i've heard that's really great and i was like <laughs> wait wait what what like it's uh you know so it's it's easy to forget when we're sort of uh, uh mired in the horror community that you know mainstream audiences by and large maybe haven't seen every single you know thing but uh but that makes it even more fun because you know it's all the more recommendations we can give them and then um yeah and I saw two great William Castle Joan Crawford joints I saw Straight Jacket at the actual Music Box of Horrors uh marathon it was uh, the film that kicked everything off 
And one that I really dug was, uh, what was the name of it? I Saw What You Did. Mm. Ooh, that's that's a great that's a one. one. Oh, my God. And it, it, I always I was already thinking for the drive-in next year, a perfect double feature with Gary Sherman's, is Gary Sherman? Lisa. If you guys have ever seen Lisa. I, have I haven't seen Lisa. Never heard oh, of. I haven't seen that one. A uh, cool thriller, you know, kind of the same concept. Girl, uh, young girls are prank calling the wrong people and oh, get yeah. involved. I haven't seen that. Never mind. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, cool, kind of sleazy. I dig it. Cool. And mm-hmm. I like Last Night in Soho too. Yeah, that is. I I yeah. like that one quite a lot. I I would recommend the people check out. I saw what you did quite a bit. I it kind of broke my heart. I wrote an article. Was it last? Fuck, I don't know when. But um, Todd Farmer and Patrick Lussier were going to do, speaking of Dark Castle, they were going to do a remake of I Saw What You Did for Dark Castle, uh, which would have had Tom Atkins as the villain in it. And um, oh. fuck, what a loss. I, Is I that think your that Phantom Limbs? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Great. Uh, uh, yeah, you did a terrific one about the Hellraiser guys doing Halloween, right? I... That honestly, there I want that to exist so fucking badly. Um, <laughs> the Halloweenies love that article. The Halloweenies were uh, we're all uh, we're all titter about that one. I, I appreciated the shout out uh, when I was listening to the app. I uh, yeah, you know, it's funny when I when I reached out to them, I had read in I think it was Taking Shape too that they were going to be uh, you know that they had pitched on that, but you know there was no more info on it. And I reached out to them both. They had been on this podcast before ages ago. And I was like, uh, would you ever be interested in talking about that? And they weren't at the time, but a year passed. And they were like, yeah, we can go ahead and do it. And it wasn't ever something that was developed. You know, like it's noted in the story, it was only ever a phone pitch that went nowhere. And I was like, well, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll see what this is. This could be cool. I'm a, I'm a big fan of these writers. I'm sure it'll be interesting, you know. And then they just cut loose with it. And I was like, this is what I want the franchise to be now. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. It, it like after Halloween ends, it's either going to be that somehow, some way, or it's going to be something that disappoints me because it's not that. Um, <laughs> I I even like the damned Halloween theme that they had their buddy make, which we posted in a separate story. It was that very sort of cool synthy drive esque version of the Halloween yeah. theme, and it's like, damn it! Like I ah oh god, I okay to listeners out there, if you don't know what the hell we're talking about, I have a. I have an article series called Phantom Limbs on Bloody Disgusting, and there was one where we talked to Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, who wrote The Night House. They wrote the upcoming Hellraiser movie. Uh, great writers, good guys, and they basically pitched what their version of Halloween should be. And they stripped away all of the mythology, all of the bullshit, and they they even stripped away his name. He's not even called Michael Myers in the He's called Halloween. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he, is, I, he might as well be, you know. Um and yeah, and so they uh, they pull all of the supernatural stuff out of all of the mythology. There's no Loomis, there's no Laurie, there's no sister, there's no this, there's no that. He is simply a guy who travels, you know, around the country. And every Halloween, he he just winds up in a town, you know, after hitching a ride in a truck or something. Rides into town, he pulls on the mask and the uh, the overalls, and he he gets to work. And he's kind of like this this urban legend you know kind of like this creepy pasta um figure you know that people talk about is he real is he not and uh and but the great thing about it is that it gets it out of haddonfield and it 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 makes the uh the the holiday scary for everyone because it could be your town this year it could be your town next year who knows and uh that's such a cool fucking idea 
and such a great thing to do with that character in that franchise instead of just miring it in more history, more mythology. Let's let's wipe away the previous five or six sequels, but we'll we'll stick to this one. And what mythology are we keeping? What are we losing? <laughs> How much do you have to know before we you know proceed? Even mainstream audiences. I mean, hell, these Halloween movies, the last two have done quite well, but. You know, I, I, that's the thing. I wonder how much of it is people actually knowing what the hell they're watching and how much of it is just people wanting to watch a movie called Halloween with a boogeyman they half recognize, you know, in a movie theater during spooky season, you know? And so that's what I think is so neat about their pitch is that it just reduces him to the elements that work the best and work the best in Carpenter's movie. And they kind of go from there. Um, well, sorry. I think they're, I would have loved to see, I mean, I think I would love to see their take on, I saw what you did because I think that what I mean, there are certain movies that I think are due for remakes like they're not because they're not, you know, considered like all time classics. Like I don't need to see a Halloween remake, even though we've gotten it several times. But I saw what you did. Like, cool. Update that for a modern crowd. And actually, the movie we'll be talking today, uh, Captain Kronos, I think, is something that I would like to see a bigger budget remake one day. But we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right. Allie, how about you? What have you seen in the last week you'd like to talk about? Um, oof, I didn't watch any horror this week, but I did rewatch Rhinestone, the amazing <laughs> Dolly Parton Sylvester Stallone movie. It's horror in its <laughs> own way. Amazing. I've talked about on this podcast too. Like I've just been rewatching it a bunch. <laughs> well, Ellie, are you a big uh, are you a big Dolly Parton fan? I love Dolly Parton, and that movie is so cute, and she's so cute in it. Because I wanted, like, when did you get into Dolly Parton? Oh, when I was a kid, like that was shit my mom used to play. Okay, because Dolly Parton's one of those things where it felt like I worked in record stores all through my twenties and Borders, and I felt like nobody around my age ever asked for, you know, where's Dolly Parton? Right? I'm here to Dolly Parton. But then all of a sudden, over the past five years, everybody I know is, you know, their, her biggest fan, and I, it's great. But like, I was like, I didn't know anybody liked Dolly Parton that much. Because she's, like, amazing. She had a whole theme park. And she donates so much money to charity. Like, she's just, she's an advocate. We love her. Wait, I, she uh, does have a theme park, right? Dolly World is... No, yeah, that, that, that's her. That's her. Okay, I was like, wait, am I an idiot on this? <laughs> this is, like, my, I don't know, second or third drink. So who knows where I'm going to be at? <laughs> well, I, I remember well. when she hosted Saturday Night Live in the 80s. And, I mean, I knew her just because she had large breasts. I mean, that was... In the schoolyard, that that, it was always, you know, how did Dolly Parton, uh, was it Dolly Parton getting two black eyes or something like that? It was some stupid, poor, poor joke. I I think I only knew her from movies when I grew up. I, I think there was that Christmas movie. There was Nine to Five, which I would always catch bits and pieces of. And... Sad, in hindsight, sadly, there was that movie that she did with James Woods. Uh, I, I can only imagine what it was like making that movie with that son of a bitch back then. But, uh, yeah, I didn't discover her music until much later. But, yeah, who who doesn't love Dolly? She's great in a best little whorehouse in Texas. Heck, yeah. I've never it's seen it. It's worth watching. It, it's absolutely worth uh, worth checking out. And uh, Charles Durning does a good musical number in it, too. I love Charles Durning. Man's amazing, and I uh, when a stranger calls. Allie, tell me because I have not seen it. What is Rhinestone about? Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> so it's about Dolly Parton, who's in this shitty deal with this nightclub owner, who's like a total sleaze and just wants to bone her, and she wants to break her contract. So they make a deal that 
if they just find a nobody off the street, she has two weeks to turn them into a country music star. Or she has to sleep with the club owner. <laughs> and sure enough, the nobody they ah, find. Ah, the good old days in the music industry. <laughs> right? Oh, God. <laughs> but then they find taxi cab driving super Italian Sylvester Stallone, who lives in a funeral home, and he's going to be the country music star. Does uh, Sylvester Stallone sing in this one? He does. Is he he sings it... a bunch of songs. He sings one called Drinkenstein, which I'm not. I, some <laughs> Frankenstein monster thing. This movie has rocketed up to the top of my must-watch list. Yeah, this has uh, always been I... kind of in my radar. Um, but I mean, you have you have more than a you have a plethora of selections for bad Sylvester Stallone movies from the '80s. Yes, but this is the one that he he was offered the lead in Romancing the Stone, and he was like, no, guys, this rhinestone movie where I'm a country singer, that's going to make me my Oscar. Oh, God. Wow. Well, he's better off, because I, I I can't picture him in Romancing the Stone at all. I mean, Michael <laughs> Douglas is so good in that. He's so good in it. So, wait, when he sings, is it actually his voice? Yes, and it, like, by no means is it good. <laughs> 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 Can he handle country? I mean, sometimes you don't have wow. to be a great singer to do country well. Yeah, but there's just, there's one great scene where he's trying to show Dolly, like, when they first meet, like, all of his musical talents that he has, which is none. So he takes him back, he takes her back to his place, and he starts wailing on this, like, organ and singing Tutti Frutti, but, like... <laughs> what? It's, like, the worst rendition of it. And then he looks down, and his dad is putting on a funeral, and they can all hear him. <laughs> and it's just, like, oh, the most awkward moment but it's it's so stupid and it's so cheesy i'm gonna VOD just, this tonight oh i don't think you can you might have i might have to send you a file that i might have <laughs> wow some dirty dealings on this podcast i like it i don't know that we need to watch <laughs> captain chronos anymore i i kind of want to do a commentary just, for yeah let's do a live commentary on ranston i think that's a good idea <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> it sounds amazing paul what have you seen recently um, well, similar to Ellie, I actually like really haven't watched a ton of horror this week. I've been watching a lot of like just weird random stuff. Um, a handful I've been doing like the November thing. So yes. I've been watching some film noir. Um, some of those kind of, you know, they're not horror, but they kind of bridge certain thematic pieces. Like, uh, last night, um, I watched, uh, Fritz Lang's M for the first time. That uh, that that treads the horror line between horror yeah. pretty well. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's well. Plus, you got you know Peter Laurie, which while he only has what I would say amounts to maybe I don't know twenty five thirty minutes of screen time in this close to two hour movie, it's pretty long for a nineteen thirty one film. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I watched it. It's, it's not really. It, it kind of predates what most people consider the noir movement. Um, but it's definitely like proto noir. Like it, like stylistically, it it establishes a lot of things that go on to be used uh, pretty heavily. Um, it, I mean, I guess uh, basic plot is that this uh, town in uh, Germany is being sort of. Um, is under siege by this uh, serial killer who's targeting children. Um, and that killer is Peter Lorre and he's phenomenal in it. Um, and, and what little screen time he has. And, and it's an early role for him too. Um, 
And what I liked about the movie was it also kind of serves as like an early police procedural kind of like because a lot of the movie is about sort of the the uh, authorities kind of desperately banding together and seeing how they can bend laws to do all these raids and search people's homes with very little <laughs> evidence. The, the um, original 24. Yes. Yeah. In many ways. Um, but, and then juxtaposed against that, you have like the various crime bosses who's like their, their syndicates are upended because the cops are doing so many raids. They can't like conduct their business now. So they're sort of like, well, you know what? Like these cops can't catch this guy. This guy's ruining our business and also killing children. Let's find them and deal our own sort of justice. So you have kind of two investigations happening concurrently. Uh, and there was also, and this is a weird poll, but it also kind of had some like, you know, like modern day action movies like to have a lot of like mythology to them, like John Wick type mythology, like, oh, like this group of people is all connected. Like the, the crime bosses go to this like syndicate, syndicate of like hobos. Because <laughs> apparently all the hobos like work together and like position themselves in different blocks and know what's going on in the city. And I was like, well, this is a plot line right out of John Wick. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's pretty much like how they end up finding him is is through this interconnected interconnected web of the homeless in this town. Uh, so I was I was pretty floored at how uh, modern it was as a narrative, considering the time it was made, um, which sh- shouldn't surprise me because Fritz Lang was right. always kind of like that but uh i don't know it just kind of caught me off guard but yeah gorgeous movie really really effective banger ending uh i mean i i know it's it's nothing revelatory to say that <laughs> fritz lang's m is a great movie but hey i'm gonna go ahead and say it you know we screened it at our the rock island public house drive and on our Oktoberfest weekend <laughs> Because we were just trying trying to find uh, German, not a lot of fun German movies, you know, (laughs) necessarily. Um, Nobody showed up for it, which I was, you know, disappointed in. But we had a few people from Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, so that's cool. Yeah, there's no formula. Not everything's a winner. (laughs) No, and I could see that being a tough sell. Sometimes, you know, subtitles, subtitles. In the dark and you know very dark subject matter, right? right. Very it's dark not, subject. Matter. It's not a feel good movie. It doesn't, you know, never once in the film, even at the end, do you walk away going, "Yeah, that was that was fun." Yes, but it's but it's very well made. Um, let's see. Uh, the other one I want to plug is uh, Scream Factory. Bless their hearts. Put out Dracula Dead and Loving It on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know, I know, you know, we've talked about this on, on this podcast before, but I don't care. I'm going to talk about it again. Um, you know, I, I grew up adoring that movie my brother and I rented it every day. It was just, it was one of the free movies in our videos. You know, like every video store had like a free section or at least ours did. And yeah, it's like, price. Yeah, it's like a little wall of movies. It's just random shit, like pre-hysteria and, and, uh, (laughs) Charles Band classic. Yeah, right. Like anything, just a bunch of free movies that you can rent. uh, National Geographic shit. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) So we would, we would rent that movie constantly. Uh, Weird Al's UHF. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, that finally came out on Blu-ray. So that, that's been something I've been hoping and praying for for many years and uh it's it's glorious it's very funny i love that movie and, you know i never uh, saw that one i kind of tuned out at a leslie like when leslie nielsen really really kind of started doing any like a parody a year it felt like he was doing he did spy hard uh that is oh no yeah is that is that uh leslie nielsen 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. Charlie Odom loving it's Leslie Nielsen. And it's Mel Brooks, though, right? Yeah, it's Mel Brooks. Yeah, and it's 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 sort of a movie that uh, even Mel Brooks fans kind of like turned on for whatever reason i think i think it's like hilarious again i i i will fully admit that there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in that oh, for me absolutely uh, um, tights is like that for me i don't know yeah it would still be funny if i watched it now yeah well that's the thing though is like i can watch uh, dracula dead and loving it now and still just adore it. i will say this i do think peter mcnichol plays renfield in it that's and he he is fucking spectacular like his performance that it's honest to god one of the funniest performances of the 90s for me so i think like even if there are certain elements that don't work for people i really think it's worth watching just for peter mcnichol um and i also think that mel brooks has some pretty funny uh situations because he plays uh, van helsing in it um and stephen weber's harker is really funny uh amy yazbeck is mina um, pretty good cat yeah, yeah, it's it's really solid. It I I truly think it's it's sort of due to be uh, rediscovered a bit, especially in Mel Brooks's filmography. I think I think it's a much better movie than it gets credit for. Um, and it, it, if you watch it back to back with the original Dracula, because it's it's definitely like a direct parody of the thirty one Dracula. Um, it, it plays kids, really that's well. That's what kids were clamoring for. Well, I, I think mean. that was part of the problem. Yeah, I, well, and he, I think, well, he made it because of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. Uh, and like, there are, he, he does like the wig thing. Like there's a few little nods to it, but it's way more of a parody of the original than what, you know, Francis Ford Coppola was doing. And it just, yeah, I think it wasn't, like you just said, it was not what the youth was seeking. And uh, Leslie Nielsen is is hardly the uh, sexy lead you want to throw at, at young people watching comedies. Um, but man, is that movie fucking funny. So, yeah, out, out on Blu-ray now so people can, because, you know, when things hit Blu-ray, that's when you're allowed to rediscover them. Yes. <laughs> no, not no, no, no time before that though. Not before right, vinegar no, syndrome it, gets his hold on it. It's junk until that yeah, moment. It's garbage. Unless it's, it's only unless you can't find it anywhere, and then you get to tell everybody that you've seen it. You yeah. Know? Well, then, yeah. If it's like only on VHS and it's really hard to find, yeah, then it's special. Yes. But you know, otherwise, if you could just get a DVD for two bucks at you know whatever used store, then it's nothing. <laughs> But I'll, how, I'll many leave those, how many of those movies that I have? Like, what 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 movies do you all hold close that would be your hot takes on Twitter? Like, okay, everybody else hates this, but this is this is mine. This is the movie that I would champion in the face of everyone spewing hate. We all have to have at least one, right? It, this, I, the old, first one that comes to mind is a newer one because I was a tremendous fan of Solo, a Star Wars story, and still contend that it's the best of the Disney run of those You're movies. Right. Because it's the closest in spirit to the original 77 film. Mm. Um, but I, even that, like, people, I mean, cause as we discussed about IP, people, even though it, you know, it flopped or whatever you want to say, you know, there are people that still hold it in some regard just because it's Star Wars. I, I think it's the best since the original trilogy, easily. All right. Well, see, I knew that's why I'm the fourth co-host here. I, I just I, I don't understand how people love Rogue One, which I think is terrible. Oh, I, I can't say that it's terrible. It's second to Solo, I think. I like Rogue One. 
I thought it was good. I, I didn't, I don't love it, but I like it. I, I wanted it to like it so much, but Solo had me feel out of any of the movies, the prequels, the sequels, the, the, the spinoffs, the side pulls, the Mandalorian, like all of that shit. Watching Solo again is the only new Star Wars film past the original trilogy that made me feel like a kid watching Star Wars again for the first time. I, agree I, with I that. have not gotten I, that from any other Star Wars. And I think that's why some people dislike it is because they want Star Wars to be ultra serious now or, you know, be moving forward. And Solo is more of a throwback to that original. And I don't think people... Uh, I don't think there's a certain element of the fan base that want that, despite wanting everything to be just like the originals. You know, they don't want the fun part. So the, who is it? Kathleen Kennedy's uh, contract was extended today. And I it's just like, how many how many how many fanboys were probably enraged at that? And I just I I love it. I <laughs> um, I have seen what the hell have I seen? Um. I'll say, should I, should I, yeah, fuck it. I'll leave off on a negative note. We'll, we'll talk about, I know we did last summer, right before we <laughs> dive into the commentary. Do a little uh, deep dive. I am watching Dexter new blood on oh, Showtime. Wow. It is two episodes in, um, uh, Dexter is a show that I dearly loved. And then it kind of lost its way a little bit. And, a lot, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it. It is sometimes. Yes. Sometimes, uh, you know, here's the thing is like, One I, of the worst finales of all time. No, it's not. But it's one of the one of the worst final seasons, <laughs> yes, one of the worst finales, no. Uh, but we have we have we have talked about it at length. Sometimes way more drunk than uh. <laughs> yeah, I got I got pretty belligerent though. <laughs> one episode. I don't even know how much of that like was during the episode. It just extended beyond it. I was like, okay, that's the that episode. Was just me shouting up at Paul for an hour after recording. Paul was like, Paul hadn't been introduced to hard liquor for very long before he got like just uh, uh, angry drunk with me over day. So he's like, and, 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 and another thing, and another thing. Oh, that's like, funny. That's one of our, that's whenever we're complaining about something at work, even if we have nothing to say, we'll just walk to the other person. And another thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, so everybody knows. Dexter it ran for eight seasons. It, uh, I, you know, it was hit and miss, especially in its final four seasons. The, the finale is widely maligned, widely derided. Um, I, I didn't know what to think about this new season coming up. I love the fact that they went back to the original showrunner, uh, as Clyde Phillips, I believe they went back to one of the early directors to sort of guide this season. Uh, it is divorced from all the iconography from like the original series, like gone is the sunny locales and the Hawaiian shirts and the, 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 you know, the, the colorful music and just, it's, it's the character removed from everything that we know about him. And, uh, and on top of that, like it's, it's, you know, it, it feels like in so many ways when we revisit these characters so many years down the line, it really j- does just feel like a victory lap in a way or uh, or, y- you know, kind of like playing the greatest hits, as it were. And what I really like about Dexter is that it really does feel like a completely different chapter. It feels like a decade has passed. It feels like the character has lived a life and a life and a half, really, since we last saw him. And uh, and it's really smart in a way. Paul, I think you would appreciate it if for no other reason than uh, I, I believe if I remember this correctly uh, you were angry that this show took so many easy ways 
out. Like, uh, yes. for example, he At would every possible turn that all the time, easy path. So he would have he would have a child, you know, and then that child would be shuffled off screen to somebody taking care of him rather yeah. than seeing him a magical nanny that could work 24 hours a day whenever <laughs> he needed her to. And she would just always watch his his baby and it was and he could do whatever murders he needed to do. And, and then he could come back to his life and it would be fine. Like, it, was, it, the, it was like lazy writing. You're absolutely yeah, right. It was lazy. What I love yeah. about this new season is that it, it really harkens back to the first two seasons, which is, Hey, the fun thing is to watch this guy that we like who is a murderer, you know? Uh, but you know, we, we like that Hitchcockian, like watching this guy get the screws put to him. And that's totally, so it, it does everything that the last four seasons didn't do. It, it is the inverse of that. It is all about piling on, Every conceivable like uh, uh, hardship that this guy could go through while trying to maintain his normal life. It is painting him into every possible corner and then finding really clever ways for him to tiptoe out of it. And uh, for example, Paul, going to the child like the and I hope I'm not diving into spoiler territory, but this is kind of ruined in the marketing like his son literally pops up on his doorstep in the first episode. And so, you know, oh, it, it, I, did, it, I did not know that. Yeah, and so that is interesting. It complicates things for him in a really, really interesting way. Is his son like old now? Like, is this how much of a time jump? I don't know anything about the show. I, it's like I a, haven't read about it. I haven't watched a trailer. I I don't know anything about it. It is a decade later, so he's okay. like a teenager. And uh, so yeah, he, he in the last season. Oh, uh, what's that? Like one? Shouldn't he be like eleven now? No, nah, he's he's, uh, he's more he's than one. He's season three. So yeah. Yeah, he's got to be like three or four. I don't know. I, I think it was like four or five. By, okay. I think it was like five the last time we saw him. So now he would yeah, be like... Because he, he got sent off with that other serial killer friend he made. Because, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> that's, how, that's how Dexter is written. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But no, this, is, this really does... What I love about it is that it feels like a brand new chapter. It's a good jumping on point for new viewers that doesn't okay. merely wipe away everything. Yeah, I never watched the I never watched the old show. And oh. usually I, for me I I rarely will go back and watch something if I didn't watch it in its first run. It's just it's too much to take in when you're just staring <laughs> I down get a barrel of totally six seasons. If you do nothing else, like if you don't like I understand not wanting to commit to eight seasons of that show, especially when four of them are not very well thought of. But if you do nothing else, watch the pilot. Like, yeah. I, I still think it is one of the, the great pilots. Yes. the I will say this. The first season is phenomenal. Like, the first season of Dexter is is truly great television. It's a great horror conceit. Um, it kind of has its own beginning, middle, and end, too. Like, it, it has a great sort of self-contained narrative that really hooked me. And that's why I was so disappointed in where the show ultimately went. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have cared if, if there wasn't such a, an amazing foundation that it had. So, um, but yeah, yeah, the pilot is great. I, I agree. I think the first two seasons are really, really well done, but you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing the second season because at that point, <laughs> then you're, then you're sort of committing to the, right. the long narrative of it. But I think the first season, yeah. which I think is like 10 episodes is probably doable. Season three, I will say, yeah, is, is a little bit dull, but season four, season four is, season four is but, fucking but, excellent. But, and it, but it doesn't it provides end really? John Lithgow like, with one of the greatest performances that man has ever given, which yeah, is utterly fucking terrifying. Yeah, him, Yes, so he's amazing. 
but 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 it's like it would be hard for me to recommend watching that season now because it doesn't go anywhere at all really but also doesn't he is he supposed yeah. to new season yeah, well, he hasn't popped up yet, but there is. I mean, uh, see, okay, so I, I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to say anymore because Mike, if you do wind up getting caught up with the show, then I don't want to delve into spoilers. But I will say that there are actors who return in this season, but not necessarily their characters. Um, and it's yeah. So, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I will say, no, the new show, I, I love the fact that even as maligned as the show got by the end, I, I appreciate the fact that this new season feels like a course correction. It feels like an answer to a lot of those problems, but it never apologizes for them. So, you know, because it, it has to deal with some of the plot of that last season in a way and uh, to catch us up where this guy is. But uh, no, it's and what's crazy is is. You know, when you when you take the sort of balance that first season has, where it's it's a horror comedy in a way, right? And it, it part of the fun of the show is watching Dexter be so damn charming, even though he's utterly lethal. And uh, there's a lot of dark comedy mind from that. And then it seemed like the the closer you got to the end of the show, just the darker and darker and darker it got. And it was no longer as much fun. It was no longer as funny. And uh what I love about this new season is that it returns him to the guy that we kind of knew, even though he couldn't be in a more different setting. He couldn't be in more different circumstances. It, it kind of returns him to being that charming, likable, you know, boy next door who just happens to kill people, you know, sort of place. So I, I appreciate it for that. And Michael C. Hall seems to be having a blast with the character in a way that he hadn't for seasons, I think, in the original show. Cool. All right. All right. Let's. I'll. I'll make it quick. I know we did best. So, you know uh, how to make things quick. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Love it. No, I. Uh, I know what you did last summer is a book and a movie that are both important to me. Uh, I, I grew up with Lois Duncan novel as a teen. I even wrote my school's uh, high school play based upon her novel. Uh, I loved Scream growing up, like every horror kid in the 90s did, I'm sure. And uh, I know what you did last summer immediately following up because I was a huge Kevin Williamson fan. Like, I just absolutely adore that first movie. The second one took me a while to come around on, but I, I enjoy it too. Uh, I revisit them all frequently, and um, I'm just kind of a sucker for the franchise in a weird way. Uh, one of the great joys talking about Phantom Limbs again, I was able to talk to Jeff Howard, who's the... Uh, writing partner from Mike Flanagan and they had developed and I know what you did last summer. It's not at all a remake. It's just, you know, it, they kind of took the concept and the title and they did their own thing. And I was able to read the script and interview Jeff Howard. And I think that it would have been fucking amazing if they'd been able to make that. So when I heard that James Wan was producing a television series adaptation, I, I, I was excited, but a little concerned. And, um, I, I realize now that I should have been more concerned than anything. Um, what Here's what bums me out. You have James Wan producing. You have Craig William McNeil, who did The Boy, uh, which is not the uh, the creepy doll movie, which I liked quite a bit. It was the other boy that came out the exact same year about the kid living in the motel with his dad, who's a burgeoning serial killer. Rain Wilson is in it. Like, um Fascinating movie, very well made. So we have that guy in charge of, I think he directed the first two episodes and kind of oversaw the rest of it. Um, 
Madison Eisman is the lead in it. She was in, uh, I think, like Jumanji. She was in a horror movie that was shot like 20 minutes from where I'm currently sitting in Florida, like last year, that looked interesting, never saw it. Like, she makes for a decent lead. It's... But does she? <laughs> no, here's... I will say that she... Come on, you even... That's a cheap shot. You even said you thought that she was decent. In the many, You're many right. DMs that you and I passed back and forth Why about the show. show. <laughs> um, it's okay. So for anyone not familiar, much like the original book and movie, um, I know what you did last summer concerns a group of teens who accidentally hit somebody on a winding road and they cover it up. And uh, uh, that the knowledge of what they did, that secret that they hold, destroys their lives over the course of a year. When we get to one year later, the following summer, we discover that somebody knows their secret and is going to use it to sort of break them down and eventually, well, in the book, uh, give them kind of a, a more PG comeuppance. Uh, in, in the original movie, it was, uh, it was a bit more slashery. And in this, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know why the killer... I've seen all eight episodes now. I don't really know why the killer did what they did. I don't know... I don't know who the killer is, because I'm only two episodes in, and I'm probably not going to watch this. I just truly hated... Like, Spoiler alert. The person that they hit on the highway is the exact twin of the lead. <laughs> and then she goes on to play her dead sister because her dad loved her dead sister more than her, so why not just take her life? She's the cool, hot chick. <laughs> It's I here's the thing. I that's the one thing about the story that I like. Yes, Allie's right. There are twins. And it's kind of like there's 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 it's not a good twin and an evil twin, but it's more like there's a shy twin and there's an extroverted fucked up twin. And uh they get into an argument. There's a bit of a uh a switch of sorts, and then yes, there's an accident, somebody dies, and uh well it's the twin. And one twin assumes the other twin's identity and has to play her to her friends. And it's, 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 it's the whole thing. Her dad knows and is just fine with it. He's like, you know what? That's cool. <laughs> it's he's like also banging the chief of police. Like, it's so stupid. That's the thing is like, honestly, it is. I, I guess the thing that bummed me out the most almost immediately. And this also made me feel like an old man is that Those the show. Scenes. Well, it's not even like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is language used in this show that I, if I never hear the words tea or sus or muck banging ever again. Oh That's going to be me through the whole episode of Kronos. You know, let me. <laughs> and let me tell you, let me tell you, uh, I'm so glad you said that because there is nothing more embarrassing than when older writer types try to use, uh, you know, yeah. like use that kind of language like no just leave it for the kids man just yeah use groovy use cool use awesome use your stuff like nobody's fooled you're you're the, a walking version walking talking version of steve buscemi me no it is um so you're yeah, not supposed I mean, to understand that it does oh god it's it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like actual teen characters. You're absolutely right. It feels like 40 year old guys being uh, just trying their best to make fetch happen. Um, <laughs> and it just, but more than that, here's the creepy thing to me is that they're all teenagers, which I mean, they're all meant to be 18. They graduated. What the fuck ever still, but it, the show is so crass and so trashy. And so like, just it, it's like, 
it's almost like they brought in Rob Zombie to do a quick polish on the dialogue, uh, you know, because there there weren't enough fucks in there. And there there weren't enough just it it's so like I think it's honestly, I wonder if the people behind the series hadn't fancied themselves as making like a Larry Clark version of a teen slasher. And instead <laughs> they just made like a really trashy, hard R rated, stabby version of Melrose Place. It's just astonishingly bad, but I will give it one thing. I watched that son of a bitching show all the way to the very end. There was something I don't know if it was my uh, my connection to the source material, which not for nothing. I think there is one note in the movie that says, I know what you did last summer. And then there is the premise of, you know, kids hitting somebody on a road and covering it up and then that coming back to haunt them. That's it. Like none of the characters, not the fishermen, like none, there's nothing brought from like any previous telling of the story whatsoever. Other than that, like the note is mentioned once they hit somebody and that's it. Uh, but so I don't know if it's like just how much of a fan of the entire franchise that I am that I had to see this thing through or if there's some sort of weird power that it had over me where I couldn't look away. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion in eight parts. But I eventually got to that final episode, and as bad as I thought the previous seven episodes were, and they are bad. <laughs> <laughs> but as bad as I thought they were, the, the final episode absolutely just awes with its badness. Like it, oh, wow. <laughs> every, badness. Every every choice they make is the wrong one every like it just blows my mind all of the choices that they made in that final episode i i can't understand how they got to where they did why they did what they did they know what they did but i i I just I feel like on some level, do you remember the story of the Rob Lowe TV series where they they heard that they were canceled like eight episodes in? So they just decided to fuck around for the final handful of episodes and do the weirdest shit that they could uh, just to ride out the rest of the season. I don't know anything about this. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's a great story. Uh, There's like some lawyer TV show that Rob Lowe starred in back in the early aughts. They canceled it into production and so they decided at the end of it, they were like, well, fuck it. If we can just do what we want to, then uh, the main character is now a serial killer, because why not? And he's uh, <laughs> he's going to kill the cast at the very end of it and jump off the, uh, you know, the second floor of his fucking like law office, you know, and that's going to be the end of the series. We're not doing anymore, you know, uh, just guns blazing. That's kind of what I know what you did last summer feels like. It feels like they know that they're not coming back for any more, even though apparently it was initially designed as like having a three season arc. And they were just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's no. just let's leave him with something to talk about. Let's uh let's have a character point out that his semen was put on a knife that stabbed somebody, even though that makes no sense whatsoever. Um that's uh it, How dare you. <laughs> wait, they're saying that somebody staged his semen on a knife? Yes. Just for the uh so it literally get the semen from him. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I look I don't know if you need an anatomy lesson, but I'll tell you where you get semen from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> um well in the sequel season it'll be i know what you did last summer kills and then we could refer to the killer as i know you did last summer. <laughs> you have a character 
somehow the actor performed it with a straight face. You have a character being dragged away by cops, pleading his innocence, screaming, she put my cum on that knife or something like that. And it's like, this is, this is, they, this, how, how does this exist? Why does this exist? Uh, you, you have a character that got stabbed through the chest, had their arm lopped off and they were, Covered in honey for some reason by a cult. Oh, by the way, there's a cult in the I show. I was going to say, did they bring the cult back up? Because they mentioned it in the first episode. Yeah, so the big surprise at the end of the season is that this teenage girl who gets stabbed through the chest and has her arm lopped off and has been literally like just coated in honey and has just been chilling in a freezer for two days. Like the the camera pushes in on her in the final shot. Spoiler alert! But who fucking cares at this point? And her eyes pop open like a big dun dun dun. But it's like, okay, she's not a killer. Like, so what? Why? Why are you treating this like a big? You know, like ah, oh, it's just so terrible. I could um I could explain more. I could talk about this more, but I honestly I don't have the energy to do it. If you are a fan of anything related to, I know what you did last summer. Give this thing a wide berth. Don't give it your time. Learn from my mistakes and just don't do it. Please, God, don't do it. <laughs> Allie, Allie, don't finish it. I, I, I get the feeling that you weren't going to. You, you stopped okay. it episode two. You were wiser than I, but. It just, it got annoying fast. I couldn't, I had like no sympathy for any of the characters on the show. I was like, you know what? All of you and your parents can all die. I don't care. That's the thing. You you can't have a slasher without at least one person to like. And they're all terrible. They're all terrible. That's what that's what bums me. Uh, spoiler alert. It, it, the killer is one of the teens. And so the, it, it, it even robs you of the joy of thinking that it's somebody killing all of these horrible teens by making the killer one of the horrible teens. Uh, it's just, and then, and then insult to injury at this point or injuries, <laughs> the whole fucking thing is capped off by a, not a post credit scene, but literally a credit scene. Like it is a window, like on the left-hand side of the screen as the credits roll on the final episode where you have the killer confessing their crimes into their phone. Like they're, they're on Instagram. Uh, uh, you know, just gleefully talking about how they got away with it all, how it all worked, how all the pieces fit in, pointing out the astonishing amount of, like, contrivances uh, that, that had to be put in place for her to get away with all the shit that she did. It's just, it's, like I said, it's it's truly awesome in how terrible it is. Um, and I know then on some level, as I say all of this, that that sounds probably appealing as hell to some people listening to this. Don't don't watch it. Don't do that don't. to yourself. Just stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. We don't we don't need a season two. All right. We need the franchise to go away for a while so they can eventually do like the Halloween 28 thing, 2018 thing with Jennifer Love Hewitt someday. I don't know. But uh, dream. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was my experience with that. That show. Now I'm just drained. Also, I'm going to admit right now, by the way, if I sound like I feel like I am on maybe three quarters speed, you know, I'm a little sludgy right now. I am. Uh, I just got my COVID booster shot. 
earlier this morning. It's it's so many hours later, and I'm starting to feel that set in. So, listeners out there, please forgive me if I sound a little uh, little sluggish. If uh, if you hear me just peace out a couple of times, just know that I am uh, I've muted my mic and I'm just. Uh, I'm groaning and complaining and not contributing to the commentary. I'll I'll see what I can do, but uh, I'm I'm counting on Allie and Mike and Paul to sort of uh, take the reins on this episode because I'm a big baby. <clears throat> oh, big baby. Yes, it's true. All right, but all that said, we do have a fantastic Hammer horror film to dive into right now. This is a movie that I think we have been looking forward to for quite some time. Paul and I talked about this movie and eventually getting to it all the way back in the early days of Hammer Pub and even getting hammered with Hammer, uh, which uh, <laughs> listeners out there got treated to a, uh, well, a, a a bit of a surprise last week, I think. Paul, what you say, I, it sure shit was a surprise to me. I was I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. Uh, I wish I had something German to say right now, but I don't. So we'll just we'll just move forward. All right, but here we are. Finally, we have made it to Captain Kronos, or uh, as as every watch <laughs> watch and rewatch of this movie reminds me, his name is actually Kronos. Uh, yeah. And up, uh, yeah, I just refuse that, and I'm going to call no, him Kronos. I do not accept such a pronunciation. All right, so no matter how you're watching this out there in listener land, be it streaming or DVD, VHS. Blu-ray, which I think uh, Screen Factory probably has a pretty sexy Blu-ray of this thing available. Sure. Where is it from? Come here, bucket. Allie, are you all right? Yeah, okay, mine is from Show Factory. And it is nice. Like, it's very lovely. Also, I keep a bunch of films in a bucket. That's just how I roll. (laughs) Is it a popcorn bucket? It is, but I don't eat popcorn out of it because movies live in it, and they're the ones that aren't my movies, and they go in that bucket, so I remember to turn them to where I borrowed them from. I think that's perfect. I think having a popcorn bucket of movies is uh, is pretty great. All right, gang, let's go ahead and cue it up to the very first frame of the movie. We should just start to see the Paramount logo peeking through the darkness. There we go. All right, everyone, I'm getting excited about this. Are we ready? Let's go ahead and do the countdown and press play in five, four, three, two, one, and play. And here we go. Beautiful. Shut up. (laughs) What are you trying to do? Get us kicked off Twitter? <laughs> nice. Solid burn. So, how is everyone watching? Ellie, you said you have the shout Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. How how are you watching it, Jinx? Me, I am. Uh, I have the Blu-ray, but I'm watching it streaming right now. Oh, okay, okay. And Mike, just, are you set up? Blu-ray yeah, I'm, stra- I'm, stra- I'm streaming it on. Yeah, okay. It's just easier when you're in front of the computer. Gotcha. I think I have an old DVD of this. I think it lives at Rock Island Public House now because this is one of my favorite ones to put on uh, during a shift. You mentioned DVD. Did anybody else? Okay, so when I was a Hammer fan, a burgeoning Hammer fan of about a decade or so ago, Captain Kronos was not a movie that I had seen like early on when I was growing up, like discovering Hammer for the first time as a kid. And so I I had the Paramount DVD in my collection for the longest time, and I just assumed that the guy on the cover, (laughs) silly fucking, (laughs) I just assumed that the guy on the cover was Captain Kronos. I'm like, well, that's interesting. I. He, he doesn't look all that dashing, but uh, okay, you know. And it turns out, like, that's not Kronos at all. What the hell was Paramount thinking putting out a DVD with, like, a supporting character 
front and center on the DVD of this movie. I don't know. I don't think they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, Paramount's kind of notorious for just lame uh, box art, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they keep redesigning the Friday the 13th ones, and there's really no need to do that. No. no. And I, I love how they keep putting out Friday the 13th with, like, Jason wearing his mask on it. Like, as right. though the people designing the box, like, haven't even seen the movie or just vaguely familiar with the franchise. Like, let's put some iconography from the Friday the 13th franchise on there. It'll be it'll be fine. Well, Paul, again, that might be a favorite... deep cut for somebody. My favorite go. release of Friday the 13th, I had to buy the thing. I own the big Scream Factory box set that has all of them in it. But for $7.50 at a Walmart, I had to pick up the Blu-ray copy of the original Friday the 13th where the killer was Mrs. Voorhees. But you're right, Paul. The slip cover is a leather jacket wearing yeah, yes. Jason Voorhees with I, a hunting knife in his hand. I think I, t- I was like tweeting about that at the time because I just could not get over it. <laughs> so entertaining to me. Okay, as good as this movie is, and it is a good movie, can we all admit that Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter maybe has the least inspired opening credits of any <laughs> Hammer horror film of this era? Well, shit, the only thing it's missing is the, the horse and carriage. It's just got the horse. That's why it's not doing so well. Mm. Yeah. They had the carriage. Well, he was supposed to like ride in on a big golden carriage, but they had to cut some budgetary stuff. I mean, clearly it's it's trying to evoke... I mean, the thing about, to me, this opening, it's just, it's like, this is the least hammery Hammer movie in a lot of ways. Like, it, it's, it, it feels like a totally different thing. Like, you can tell it's from somebody who wanted to challenge the norms of the Hammer vampire flick. Um, and this, like, rollicking score and the ornate lettering and, you know, him riding in on his steed. Like, it just, it doesn't feel like the normal opening to one of these kinds of movies the triumphantness is a little bizarre and somewhat off-putting like when you haven't seen the film yet i was definitely a little nervous the first time i put it in (laughs) i i I still remember the first time i tried to watch this it was on the wpwr late late movie on a saturday night and i was really excited about it because i had read about it in this big book i had the modern horror film and just because it was the nature of it being on at like midnight on a saturday i made it to about right here and then went <laughs> fell asleep <laughs> and it wasn't one that was hard it was, that's when i'm like you know 12 or 13 that it wasn't easy to find on vhs at that time yeah but i love that concept of a swashbuckling vampire hunter and a movie a horror movie that fo- I, the rare horror movie that follows the hero like i think there's yeah. a this there like I, there's a lot more these days but there's rare that uh well not that there was a series on this one but Potentially, there could have been a series that would have followed him and not the villains. Should have should have been a series. Well, and that's what it was pitched as. You know, Carreras bought it, you know, bought the idea as like a multi-film series with this time-traveling monster hunter that they even talked about it being sort of like Doctor Who in some ways where, you know, you could go to different eras and do different things and – they thought this was going to be a much more appealing movie to uh, to the youth, as they say, uh, <laughs> at the time. Um, but of course, all that went to went to hell when Michael Carrera saw the finished film and hated it. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> like, of going hell to hell, wow. speaking of going to hell, when this opened in Chicago in uh, June twenty first, nineteen seventy four, it played on double features with Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. <laughs> that is a hell of a was, double feature. It was, 
Well, that was how Paramount like was sold. Like that was the only reason they agreed to distribute it because they wanted a, the Frankenstein movie. So they're like, oh, you can have this, and the double will be this movie. Love That's it. pretty this good double a... feature, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cronus was the second feature on all on the it's, uh, it's a Shane Bryant double feature. You know, probably and it's kind of interesting for looking at the listings of what else was playing around Chicago at the time, because also in wide release at the Beverly and the Hyde Park was the exorcist. So it's kind of an interesting mm. look at where horror was at, at this time. And maybe that's partially what helped Cronus not succeed. That we were getting into an era of more. Yeah. Visceral, uh, you know, horror like the exorcist. Can we all take a moment, please? Because uh, Carolyn Monroe has just appeared on screen. And uh, uh, raise a glass. Look, I don't mind seeing Carolyn Monroe in bondage. I'm just saying. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Yeah, I mean, the Western was not. Yeah, I, the, it, leaning into the Western tropes probably didn't help this movie when it comes to like the horror landscape. Mm-hmm. However, like, you know, this is another one of those movies from the 70s that Hammer made that feels like it would have been almost more at home in the 80s. Where it's oh, like yeah. genre bending and and playing with different ideas and tropes and kind of mashing them all together like this and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Now know, that's a good double feature, I think. Yeah, well, well, they're both doing similar things with different genre mashups, um, and I I love that about this time in Hammer's filmography, even though it probably came from a somewhat cynical place. You know, I don't sure. I don't think it was them trying to be like incredibly creative and pushing the boundaries of art. They were just more like, uh, <laughs> well, who who can we get to finance this? Who's got an idea that we haven't done yet? Uh, go do it, make it. Oh, you know, and just throw it out there. Because like Carreras actually purposefully didn't get behind this movie because he was so unhappy with how it turned out. But I also think the fact that he largely left the filmmaker to do whatever he wanted to do is why we get such a unique movie with it, with with Kronos. Um, you know, interesting he, he, that it was. Sorry, good. Oh no, I, I was just gonna say it. It had an eight week shooting schedule, which was like unheard of for Hammer. <laughs> it was like four to six weeks. That's all you got. He got eight weeks. That's nuts. Yeah. I like this movie, but is there anything about this story that tells you all that this needed eight weeks to film? God, no. <laughs> it should be better. I mean, that's the thing. As much as I love this movie, I don't think it really gives you enough of the swashbuckling uh, that no, you really want. No, no. No, way more swashbuckling. A lot of, I think a lot of its goodwill comes from the promise of the movie more than the execution. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will mean, say, like Brian yeah. Clemens, this was, Paul, uh, tell me if I'm right about this. I believe this was Brian Clemens' only feature film as director, he had previously written uh, Dr. Uh, Jekyll and Sister Hyde, which was, I mean, as far as Hammer goes, you couldn't get any more different between <laughs> that movie and this one. But weirdly right. enough, I didn't realize this. He co-wrote the story for, in addition to writing many other things. <laughs> well, yeah, he was a prolific writer. He, yeah, he co-wrote the story for Highlander to the Quickening. Yeah, that was... Well, I saw that in the notes, and it's kind of interesting when you think about like how long his career 
lasted and what the different uh you know eras of filmmaking like you know you couldn't get too disparate more disparate well not necessarily disparate because they both kind of have a swashbuckling thing to it between highlander 2 the quickening and captain Crow. <laughs> well to paul's point that this feels like an 80s movie can you imagine if we could have just held on for about 15 16 years and have gotten a brian clemens written like keep the same script and I'm not knocking the man as director, but I, I could you imagine Russell Mulcahy's Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter? Oh, it would have been wild. It would have been great. I love Russell Mulcahy. It would have been great. I did too. Well, and you, you mentioned his direction. I actually think the movie's fairly well put together. And there are some really great sequences, like later in the tavern, like the, the sort of swordplay scene where he just kind of takes out the bullies really quickly and efficiently. Like, that's a pretty solid swashbuckler scene and it's really well put together and he storyboarded the entire film like he was one of the very few hammer directors that actually did his homework ahead of time and went in so the shoot went like you know most hammer shoots are just a horror show like you you just hear all these awful things that happened on shoot how poorly it went and the shoot for this was incredibly sort of efficient um, because he was so well planned for it um, which again, I think comes from the fact that this was his first directing gig other than he did direct the, uh, opening to Dr. Jekyll and sister Hyde. Um, but he had never, oh, nice. other than that, he had never done any. Yeah. But like, and he's written some great movies. Like he wrote and soon the darkness, which is like a really solid movie and, um, see no evil with Mia Farrow. He wrote that. And, uh, he, he was a big TV writer though. Like he, uh, he was a big Avengers writer. And that's how he got in touch with Hammer. And, uh, um, but yeah, so I mean, he's, I think he's somebody that got a bit of a bad sort of hand dealt to him with this movie. Uh, because I think, even though I agree with you, the promise of the film is definitely not something that I think it necessarily lives up to, but I think it gives us enough um, for it to sort of, spawn sequels in our imagination you know it's like oh this is the kind of movie that i like more because i think it sets something up that would be really interesting and i don't really see it as the movie's fault that it doesn't deliver those sequels obviously it's more just the tides of time and and how things played out but i don't think this guy should have been relegated to you know not ever getting to direct again um but some of that yeah, also came from not. his poor experiences with the producers. You know, I think he, I think he was so disheartened by that, that he just went, he was like, well, I'm just going to be a writer. Cause <laughs> the, I can do the hell, that. The hell with this. I don't need fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Would you hear that sometimes from direct, like people who've directed, they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. That's too much of a nightmare. I just want to well, write my script, turn it in and yeah. do the next thing. Think about directing. Like you got to deal with the producers, the actors, the cinematographer, everybody. Like it, there is something to be said for just writing a script. And here, take it, uh, sell it, yeah. do it, do it the way you will. I will write another one. Like that's like, <laughs> even, even though he went on to direct, like that's kind of like, I feel like what Larry Cohen was like when he was first starting out, that he would just write, 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 write and take that money. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. And then now, this was also a movie that follow-ups, right? Oh, go ahead. You mentioned What's that? follow-ups. The great thing is that this movie does actually have a sequel. Does it? The comic books? Yes. Yeah, there is a... Uh, Ali, I was going to ask, I, I know you're a comic book fan. Like, I are you familiar with the comic at all, or is anyone here? No, not at all. I didn't realize there was a comic book to this, but I'm interested in that. I like when, like, a show or a movie continues into comic book series. 
So a few years ago, I want to say it was five, six years ago, Titan Publishing uh, acquired the Hammer license with the idea of doing a line of Hammer comic books. And uh, for whatever reason, they only did two. They did two runs. They did uh, The Mummy, which was, I think it was about a female mummy, and this actually predated the Tom Cruise movie, uh, but it was called The Mummy Palimpsest or something like that. And then... um, and then they did Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, which was not an adaptation of the movie, but a sequel that saw, uh, yeah, saw uh, Kronos and Grost and, uh, weirdly enough, Carla as a trio taking on a new vampire called Slake, something like that. But anyway, it has uh, Tom Mandrake art, which, uh, I mean, probably replicates the feel of a Hammer film on the printed page better than anybody possibly could, and... Uh, I don't know. It's just more Cronus. So if you dig the character, it is definitely so worth they're worth checking out. Oh, hundred percent. There was only a, there was only a handful of issues, right? Yeah, and the whole thing it was able to complete its uh, story. That's the thing. They 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 and just there are comic books. There's lots of pictures. Yes. Yes. I'm not a very strong reader. There are many pictures. Yes, but um, no the 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 mummy one is interesting, but not at all like Hammer to me. Captain Kronos is great. For the life of me, I don't understand why they didn't open their big comic book line with the uh, you know the 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 big guns. Why they didn't do Dracula or Frankenstein or even the Karnsteins, you know. Uh, but instead, they they went with the mummy, but not even a mummy we know. And they went with Captain Kronos, and then uh, so went that line. But you can still buy the trade paperbacks for each, which tell a complete story and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's more hammers, so uh, thumbs up for me. That's awesome. I need to pick that up. So uh, we're looking at uh, Grost here. John Cater's go Grost. Uh, what do we think about him? I love the fact, and I'm far from the first person to point this out, but I love the fact that he is a hunchback figure that the movie does not poke fun of. Uh, they, they do not use him as the butt of a joke. Like he is every much a hero as Kronos is in this film. He just happens to be disabled. And I, I think for 1974, that's doing pretty damned great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I love that character. Um, I also really like how, you know, again, this movie's like constantly subverting the tropes. I like that instead of like a Van Helsing figure, we kind of get that, we get that archetype dissected into two sort of complementary characters, you know, Kronos on one side, uh, gross on the other, um, gross sort of having, you know, that the, the intelligence, the quirkiness, um, sort of that, uh, that encyclopedic knowledge of, of lore that's applicable to whatever situation they're in. Um, I think it's fun to kind of split those two characters up. And it's something that we see a lot in later movies. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I feel like this was a bit ahead of its time in some ways with that. And and it was it was kind of a fun diversion from what we had gotten in the past from Hammer. It's kind of a, what do I say, like Watson and Holmes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and kind of the brains and the brawn uh, working together. I like that. Yeah, it works really well in this movie. See, and here's here's a really well directed scene too. Like, I love the the shadow on the wall, like the cross, and it's really eerie and atmospheric. But it doesn't feel typical to Hammer in that way. Like, it doesn't feel like just the traditional gothic. It it feels a bit more modern. 
I do think this is a creepy sequence when the cross begins to move. Uh, that is. It's brilliant. I love it. it it's yeah. part of it is like very creepy, but part of it reminds me of like the wacky waving inflatable. <laughs> if he had just got a little jazzier there, I mean, I don't know. It's just me. Did anyone else think the just the shot for a second there with Carolyn Monroe pumping the water and uh, Chris <laughs> bent over there? It reminded me, like, I kid you not, I hadn't seen the movie in a while. And so as soon as that shot starts, I was reminded of, like, Megan Fox's introduction in Transformers. I'm like, this is, come on, really? Do they have her? Oh, God, that's two people. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I just keep every time I watch that scene, I'm like, girl, I need you to tie your hair back. It's going to get caught in that thing. <laughs> You're looking out for her, and that's what's important. Let's uh, let's take a second to talk about Horse Jansen and the fact that apparently he had a perfect English accent and they fucking dubbed him anyway. I know. And, and who does who does the dubbing? Yeah. Why was the what was the point in that? Uh, apparently, who knows? I don't know. I, I think Paul and I have talked about this before. Ali, you have too. Like, uh, Carreras just like fucking dubbing people. That's just Fair. what... He- yeah, because the last movie you watched, he also did that too, where for no reason everybody was dubbed. Oh, that's, that's Carreras. Like, they would just... It felt like every movie they put... They, they must have had like a board, and they put everyone's name who was in the movie <laughs> on the board, and they took a dart, and they threw the dart, and wherever the dart landed, they dubbed that performance. It was Julian Holloway who dubbed Horace Jansen in this one. I have no um, idea who that is, but he does a good job. You he know, did this work for them. Uh, but yeah, it, it, he I, showed I don't up in Star Wars The Clone Wars. Really? Doing voices in that. So he's working as far as 2019. That's pretty awesome. Well, brag. Oh, listen to this. 1992. Backstory narrator in Beverly Hills 19... Or not Beverly, Beverly Hills 90210. What? Uh, from the episode The Backstory. <laughs> oh, I'm going to watch that in the The Backstory. I love it. I, uh, I also really like the idea of vampires feeding on uh, time. I, I like that a lot. Especially given that... And that that feels like a precursor to the idea that he was going to be like a time traveling, uh, you know, monster hunter. Um, it was it was an interesting thought and a cool metaphor uh, for what vampires were doing anyway. I mean, obviously, killing someone is is robbing them of the the life they have left. So I, I thought that was a, an interesting way to sort of do a vampire story in the traditional sense, but upend it and kind of. I don't know. Propose new mythology with it. Well, because we've uh, we we discussed how uh, kind of the mythology shifts from Hammer movie to Hammer movie, um, and what can kill them and what they can do. And uh, this is part of the Karnstein tri- trilogy, right, or quadrilogy, if you want to include this. Well, one. the weird thing about that is they don't spell. It's like Karstein and not Karnstein. They like change the spelling. It just seems like a like a a typo. Like they meant to say Karnstein. Well, if you talk, somebody it's had weird. To set, somebody got fired that day. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> talk to. Uh, it's like Hammer always like the the producers would say that this was not in canon with those movies, um, but fans have sort of applied canon to it. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, you know, canon in any uh, franchise or group of movies is always 
up to the fans anyway, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's like Halloween, Halloween kills wants to be separated from all of its canon. And yet all it fucking can do every 10 minutes is reference canon. So I don't know. I, <laughs> movies can't escape their canon, I suppose. I mean, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to see it in that light. And wouldn't that have been great in the future, even though I think at this point, Christopher Lee was done to have Captain Kronos take on Christopher Lee as Dracula. Oh my God. Oh, just yeah. imagine like Captain Kronos and Van Helsing back to back, you know? And whether or not those two would have gotten along, you know, like I, I, I would almost like some sort of like a bit of banter between them, like because they're such different people. They're coming from such different places, you know, it would have been like a, a Kong versus Godzilla kind of thing. Van Helsing and Kronos, they would have bickered for a while, but they would have teamed up for the greater good by the end. Yeah, I would watch. Uh, yeah, fuck, could you imagine Captain Kronos and the Seven Golden Vampires? Um just it it's a shame that this wasn't more popular because it feels like this is the one character that could have united a lot of the different it, it could be what we wanted the mummy series to be with Brendan Fraser back in the day instead yeah. of him just battling the fucking oh, mummy all is... the time. Hey, don't talk could, uh, this... No, no, I this... love the mummy, but I'm just saying like this rather is something... than him fighting the mummy constantly, <laughs> we could just have him fight different creatures each outing, and that's very much what Kronos could have done had uh had the series existed beyond. He could have been the James Bond of... Right! Why not that? for sure. So I want to comment really quickly on... He was just burying dead toads. Yes. Um, And that actually is old lore uh, of of finding vampires. Because uh, old lore dictated that if a vampire crossed the path of a toad, uh, it would spring back to life like a dead toad. Um, And that's, that's some like real folk folktale lore stuff uh from england and like that's the kind of stuff in vampire movies that i really love when they dig deep into the old lore and like bring it into a movie when you just never see that stuff being used i thought that was like a really cool i had to go research i was like is that real or did they just make that shit up for this movie can i ask you all a question and i'm not trying to turn this into a bit i'm genuinely curious i'm not the guy to ask but i want to know is the movie wanting me to believe that chronos is some kind of hunk like what he is i think he is Look at him. he's glistening okay you don't think he's a hunk I, Paul, I, I don't know that I'm the guy to to say who is and is not a hunk, but I just well, I'm glad that you brought me on tonight because I am the authority on hunks, and I can promise you, <laughs> I can picture that Kronos. he's that Horace Jansen is a hunk. I picture him singing on like ABBA or something. <laughs> I just fit right in with that haircut for a guy who's ostensibly meant to be kind of like a hammer superhero. Like I don't know, he just he seems a little. I don't know, under muscled for I, I I don't know. I'm not knocking the guy. I'm not I'm not, but I'm he's not. uh what do I want to say that's uh, accessible. Like you could be Kronos. You know. Yeah, I don't can't be the know. rock, but you could be Kronos. No one can be the rock. I like that. I like that. Yeah, you can't be the rock, but you could be Kronos. I like that's that's my new like that's gonna get me through the day from now on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wake up and tell myself that. He needs his own Rocky theme. All right, this is borderline Austin Powers. What is going on here? Uh, well, she would, you know, this this was like sort of a famous disagreement they had because uh, Carolyn Monroe never wanted to do nudity, and Hammer tried to do the thing they often did to their female ingenues and uh, sort of trick her into doing it on the on the day of shooting. 
she refused, but they came up with a compromise where they actually used like tape to tape her hair over sensitive areas. Uh, so that way they would be truly exposed. And then she wore like flesh colored tights and stuff. So she's not actually naked in that scene. Good for her. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, Sorry they, they, they the made illusion. it kind of a, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they made the best of it. I think there is something kind of like There's something fun about that. Yeah. I mean, they, it's fun. Like as they're approaching one another in the shadows and whatnot, but also something Something about it reminds me of the hot tub love scene in Mad Men at the same time, you know? Oh, I, just really? think I, it's, was... I think it's a little classier than your usual Yeah, it's pretty uh, it's, love it's, scene. Uh, I don't know. like it. Yeah, it's hot. I'm into it. It's yeah, hot. it's hot. We, we, are, <laughs> we are talking about the hot tub love scene for Mad Men, right? That's hot, too. That's hot. <laughs> also hot. Also hot. Uh, this is a little bit more artistic, and I think that's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think there is discussing him being kind of a weak director. Like, yeah, there's two good sequences right there, at least. You know. Yeah, that's that's why I would argue he's. I I think for a first time director, I really think he showed a lot of promise. I I am, I'm, I'm sad that he didn't do more because I think he pro- probably would have given us some pretty interesting movies. I I do want to note that I was not actually knocking Clemens' direction. I just was trying to point out that I love Russell Mulcahy. So I I, I do want to point that out. I I do <laughs> like fair. Brian Clemens' direction in this film. I'm just yeah. saying you you it wouldn't even have to be like him taking the place of Clemens. I'm just saying like you know had this been a big franchise, imagine 15, 16 years down the road, late 80s, Russell Mulcahy directing Chronos Four. Why not? like a music video. It's all sexy blue lights and water and music and katanas. And do they explain where he got the katana? No, and I love it. He just, I mean, I, I feel like that's something they would, they would explain. You don't need to, but now I want to know where he got it. I'd like to think that he beat Sean Connery's ass and took it from him. Well, we should get a, uh, (laughs) we should get a, a backstory voiceover from Julian Holloway about it. You know, (laughs) I like this sequence too, where it just watches her fall. Like she disappears below sort of a hill and then comes back up and collapses. Well, I love how much of this is a daylight horror film. I love that the conceit of this film allows for vampires to do their thing in the light of day. It's it's, it's fun. Correct me if I'm wrong, that is something from Dracula that they could walk around in the day they just were not at the height of their powers at least that's what i remember from the francis ford coppola one uh yes in the original yeah in the i think in the original text uh most of those movies like did away with that but because even the um uh even the uh hammer dracula series doesn't let them go outside but other hammered vampire movies do like kiss of the vampire. I think they can go outside as long as it's like shady or overcast. And then progressively, <laughs> progressively it got more and more to where it's like, yeah, we can just go outside. <laughs> That's why I all live in London. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, you can tell that the movie is actually impressive to a degree because we we've gone silent 
more often than not in this commentary than we usually do. And it's because I find myself actually, not for nothing, getting swept up with the, the story and watching it. And uh, it's just a shame. I don't think this is – and please correct me if I'm wrong, folks, if you think otherwise. But I, I think this is a relatively well-regarded Hammer film, but this isn't widely considered to be one of their best when I think it might be among their best – yeah, it, it would. I mean, again, we we always. I feel like I've said ever, like twenty movies are on my top ten, but this would be on my top ten. <laughs> this is absolutely in my top ten. I like yeah. the imagination. I like the genre bending that we talked about. It's one of the reasons I like Seven uh, Golden Vampires so much. Yeah. and uh, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. Yes. Yeah, there's only this, so many times you can see the horse-drawn carriage coming through over the opening credits. Right. Like this <laughs> there's so many hammer tropes. And yes, this one falls into a lot of those, but it's it's interesting in that we're following the hero, and it's got that swashbuckling angle, and there's a little bit of levity to it. I could have, another thing, like, we talk a little bit about what will we do to, you know, you know, turn this one up a little bit. I think a little bit more comedy in this one would have maybe helped it, since it's already kind of an out-there concept. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. It, and it, I like, you know, it, there's a lot of exterior, like on location shooting in this movie, which again was a little more rare for Hammer. Um, so it, it feels a little bigger and less confined uh, than some of their earlier films. Um, it just has a different overall kind of sensibility about it. And, and like you said, when you're watching all those movies together, the ones in the, the, the early 70s films really stand apart because you can tell these weren't made by the same six people that made all the other Hammer movies. Uh, they they had different voices. They had different sensibilities about them. And, and that's kind of refreshing. Do you think if Terrence Fisher had directed this that we would have been introduced to uh, Carla in the stocks or Kronos would have been a meditating pot smoking hero? Oh, a Terrence Fisher Kronos movie. I think it would have had a stronger moral framework. I think the story would have had to have been reworked and there would have been a lot more like metaphorical meaning to it. I think it would have tried to have been like a deeper film. Um, like Halloween kills, like Halloween kills. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> I had that. Terrence Fisher directed this evil would have died tonight. <laughs> but as it is, you know, evil just kind of uh, continues. Yep. For, 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that fucking movie. And, you know, I, I don't want to fall too high. It's, it's like, you know, if they hadn't done all that press leading up to it, talking about how important it is, I don't think it would have been as comical when it was released. Yeah. I could, yeah, I, I agree. Could... They shot themselves in the foot. And I don't know how they could honestly think that that was truly an important movie. I, I don't know. I mean, I understand Jamie Lee Curtis is the producer. You have to, you have to hype your movie. But <laughs> well, that's my thing. I, I imagine it has more to do with hyping it than what they actually believe they did. Because, like <laughs> you said, you watch that movie, and there's there's no way an intelligent person could think that this was doing anything other than being like. You know, a, a Friday the 13th movie with Michael you know, Myers. In. That said, if I was, what, 11 or 12 and I saw that, I'd be like, oh, wow, this movie is sharper, you know? Than sure, you're, you're, yeah. You know, it's fair. When you're younger and stupider. Mike, how do you feel about the movie Children of Men? 
I've never seen it. Okay, never mind. That's a that's a blind spot Good for answer. me. No, that's fine. Jinx is trying to start shit. He's trying to start shit. Because <laughs> he, no, he knows I like it, and he I, thinks no, no, it's no, dumb. No, 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 no. I'm genuinely, I was genuinely curious, because I, admittedly, I was going to make that, I was going to try and make that parallel, but no, it wasn't about taking a pot shot uh, at, at you. And I admire your shit starting, because there are days where I do wake up, and maybe I'm having a dull day at home or at the bar, and I'm like, let me see if I can kick up some shit on Twitter. I, I, that, is, that is a thought that honestly goes through my head. That's, that's what makes and Hammer Pub Hammer Pub. Is like, like, it's, it's like a pub atmosphere. You have a few drinks, and then people kind of can't help but start some shit. Yeah, but it's all in good fun. I don't want to really fight with oh, anybody. Yeah, I got I Mike, have you ever seen Drag Me to Hell? Absolutely, I have. Okay, uh... <laughs> now I am starting shit. It's only say. half an hour into this yeah. movie. You're not going to drag me to hell. <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, true back. or false? Christine Brown is a good person. Yeah. I, I don't think she was, if I recall. I thank you. Why? Because she didn't give an old lady a loan extension, maybe? Which she didn't deserve. Which the old lady didn't deserve. She didn't deserve it. Did not deserve it. She had like six chances. Exactly. Exactly. Fuck the poor. You tell (laughs) (laughs) us. Do you know what that woman then did? She cursed a girl to hell. That's pretty evil, man. Like, a good person doesn't do that. She had it coming. No, nobody has a system that needs to be torn down to an eternity of suffering eternity all, all i'm saying is is that by the end of drag me to hell evil died that night yeah i will say you know about no, drag me to hell uh, no, i disagree with that it, it makes good on the promise of the title it does oh i love drag me it's one of my favorite oh, my it's so good favorite movies i love, I, I love drag me Jinx is just crazy. He's a crazy person. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I, no, I fucking love that movie. You don't understand. I, don't I do. No, I really do. I just appreciate the fact that it has a Twilight Zone ending. Or even, R- I, no, not it even does, Twilight yeah. Zone. It's EC. It's EC Comics. <laughs> it is a bad, flawed character getting a marvelous comeuppance getting at the very the end. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll rewatch it again. She's not bad. She is fl- I'll give you that she's flawed, but she's not bad. She's not what? evil. Um, Paul, let's go ahead and slide the microphone over to the cat she stabbed to death. Ask her. <laughs> ask the oh, cat come on. Him. If you're going to do that, then you're going to hate a lot of characters in horror movies. They, there's yeah, tons of people who do shit cats. like that. It yeah. happens. It uh, happens, nope. man. Okay. Point point out a character that had a happy ending that deserved it that did shit like that. Dexter. Name one. I, w- I would say I, I would argue against that. He, that motherfucker did not have a happy ending. <laughs> That guy wound up in hell. He's out of jail. He, he's a lumberjack living the dream, man. Not a house. That's more than what I have. If you had told me in season one that, uh, wait, this, no, we're not doing this. Uh, Back to Kronos. Back to Kronos. Back to Kronos. Because this we're is a the, good sequence right This here. is a great sequence. Yeah, yeah. We're in the we just bar. Just did a Sam Malone there right down the bar. Oof, that yeah. right I like that shot, too. That was, again, lovely. You know, good direction. Good film. There's good work in this film. Well, again, he he storyboarded every shot. He showed up to he showed up to production with like twelve hundred storyboards, and and worked with the cinematographer like meticulously to make sure that like every they just knew exactly where everyone needed to be. It was like, you know, Carolyn Monroe was even talking about how it was just like a night and day difference on that set versus you know her previous uh, Hammer joint. 
what was her previous Hammond joint? She came on for AD seventy two. Uh, that, that was it. It was. I think it was just these. Was, yeah, I thought there was another one. I thought there was. I one thought in between, she did. But I could be wrong. She did two, right? Or was she? All due respect to Ms. Monroe, uh, and I do love her, but I will say, as much as I like Captain Kronos, and I will even say it's arguably a better film, AD 1972 is more visually dynamic than this film. Well, you guys were talking about the uh, exterior shots in this one. I think this one might pop a little bit more if they were in castles and pubs a little bit more. The woods all just kind of starts to look the same after a while. Yeah. Well, and that's so some of that budgetary kind of constraints. They... She did, in between AD 1972 and Kronos, she did The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and right before that and right after AD 1972, she, she was in she Dr. Rises Fibes again. Rises she Again. Rises Again, yeah. Oh. Love her. As a matter of fact, she appeared uh, in the previous movie as Victoria uh, right before AD 1972. She also did something called Mutiny on the Buses, which I don't know a damn thing about. Yeah, okay. she. I, I'm that, pretty sure she only did these two Hammer movies, because she was contracted for two, and they wanted to extend her contract, and she declined after this movie. Yeah, she was going to. Didn't they court her for the longest time for Vampirilla? I think she was their first choice, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, she. From I mean, you know, it's all conjecture, but I don't think she was a huge fan of what Michael Carreras was doing in the wake of. Uh, James leaving and I think she saw the writing on the wall for Hammer which was a good idea you would not have wanted to be contracted to them post 1974 that wouldn't be a good place to be <laughs> Got a and then that she ship became a Bond them. girl not too long after that yeah, yeah, that'd be a good list uh, you know who inter- uh, intersects between Hammer and Bond I imagine there's quite a few <laughs> Oh, Hammer, yeah. Bond, and Joe Spinell, even. So, <laughs> try and try and narrow it down even uh, further. The Joe Spinell connection. You know, funny story. When I was a, a horror film novice, for some reason, I thought it, his name was Joe Spinelli. <laughs> I always did too. I still, I still, and still do. I think. I be- one time guested like one of my very first podcast things and i was like really nervous because i you know you know when you're like listening to podcasts you you've never actually been on one and uh, i guessed it on one and i was talking about like maniac or something and i just i went on and on and called him joe spinelli like like (laughs) 20 times and nobody said anything and then like after i was done talking someone was like you know it's joe spinell right and i just felt like such an ass i was just like oh my god i just wanted to go away forever so that's my my Joe Spinell story. What what and podcast was that? Uh, it was um, uh, Scream Addicts. No, Scream Addicts. Screamcast. Ah, okay. Screamcast. I I, there's too many Scream things. So I get hey, confused. easy. <laughs> Although Scream Addicts was one I listened to early on, and that's how I met Jinx. I started uh, tweeting him randomly. That was I we we did appreciate back in the day that there was there was a handful of people who would actually engage with us on social media and you were one of them. So And they all were and now you have to listen to me every week. <laughs> Fuck. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. It was a mistake. I'm kidding. <laughs> Should have ignored me. And we did I'm trying to think, what was it we talked about first? Was it say, okay, it was stepfather first and then trick or treat, right? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Stepfather was my the first time I ever. Fuck! I just moved my arm and it. Oh, I feel like I got fucking stabbed. This blows. <laughs> oh, little baby. Shut up. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can relate. My my hand really hurts right now, but I have ice on it. So. Oh shit! Really? Is it still hurting? Yeah. At, yeah, you haven't after... completely. My the surgery site like is the worst part. Like, cause uh, it's I'm supposed to be really static with it, but like I have a job where I can't stay static. So like by the end of the day, it's always like oh shit. Painful. Oh true. Yeah, it's all right. It'll get better eventually. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we're this. Just get this the feeling when we're finally going to meet in person one day. Like, there's going to be a group of us, and Paul's going to walk out wearing, like, a, a 70s pimp coat, and he's going to have a hook in place <laughs> of his right hand. That's the dream. I mean, who doesn't want a hook for a hand? We he's all going to conjure him up. Say his, say his name five times in a mirror. That movie's out so tomorrow. This, this is the it. scene, this is one of my favorite scenes, where Kronos is, like, going again. toe-to-toe with this guy. He's going to muse about that 4K for a bit. Maybe somebody can shove me on either side of the fence. Do I buy it? Do I not? Do it. Just buy it. Okay. You only live once. Spend your money. Okay, fair enough. Well, shit, that was easy. Guess I'm buying Candyman tomorrow. Hey, Kronos. What is going on with the bald guy's head? There's a story there. I don't know what it is, but I want to know it. I think that um, this scene... I don't know. This feels like it's more out of like a Western, right? Like, right. It's like a man with no name kind of scene. It's not even so much his bald head as his, his brow. Is nobody seeing this? Am I fucking crazy? I love that you won't, you won't like acknowledge the scene. You just want to talk about this bald guy. I can't, I can't see anything else. They don't have bald in Florida. It's over so quick. And there's also a rhythm to that scene that feels positively like, I don't know that it, it feels very modern. Like it feels almost a little rainy ish, like in terms of the cuts, like everything's very specific. Yeah. But Looney Tunes. And I don't, I don't say that degradingly. Like it is, there is a level of cartoonishness to it that I really appreciate. Yeah. Like it, it's, it meets somewhere in between Looney Tunes and the opening bar scene in Django. Yeah. Yeah. A little Tarantino. Reminds me of the bar scene in star Wars. A sure, little bit. Yeah. There, yeah, I engage, actually, yeah, I, for sure. I engage with the fucking scene. Now, let's talk about that guy's head. There's something <laughs> wrong with that guy's head. It is. He has, he does have a very pronounced brow and no eyebrows. That's the weird part. Okay, that's what it is. Mm. Uh, he probably has alopecia. Okay, well, now I feel bad, Paul, for shining a light on it. You should. Fuck. I don't know why you had to call attention to it. I, I wanted to know what was going on. <laughs> Love that guy's chops. They're impressive as hell. I wonder if they're fake. Yeah. No, they got to be fake. You man, your beard growings. <laughs> so this is one of the few Hammer movies that did not receive an X rating. It got it got an AA. Got Wait, a what double A rating? All audiences. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the censors were not offended by this movie. And I think it's because of the Western influence. I think they felt more like, oh, this, is, this isn't this is the normal thing. 
this isn't horror. This is adventure and action. That's okay. It's like a pseudo- yeah, right. Exactly. It's okay to see blood in that context. Yeah. Such a bizarre especially, sequence. It's especially interesting given that it had a sex scene in it. <laughs> but it was very artistic. It was. You didn't see it anything. It was artistic. It was just a little, like, little hint of flesh but, around your hip. Yeah. But I also think that the reason that the censors like allowed that is that normally in these kinds of movies, the sex scenes came from like Dracula seducing someone, you know, like a, like a villainous character, you know, it was for nefarious purposes. Right. And this was like, Oh, this is like a hero and the girl who loves him and they're making love. So that's okay. You know, it's just, it's interesting how the censors kind of like, broke that down and what they allowed and what they didn't. Plus it was admittedly loosening by the seventies. I did love the time stopping sequence. Like it's very simple in that previous scene, but uh, there's something deeply creepy about it. I don't know how you can not just immediately recognize this man as a hunk. Yes, I, I don't know. He's not. Like, it's look, weird. I'm not knocking the guy. He's a handsome dude, but I'm saying that they they like to parade him around without a shirt, and I I, I just he's he's got a no. I think you're cowboy vibe. Like, why can I think of his name? Who the From guy Mid- Horace Jansen? Yeah, John, John Voight. Yeah, he's got a John Voight kind of vibe to him with this. I think so, you're thinking of maybe terms of. Too modern, like that's what hunks looked like back then. That is what hunks. Yeah, yeah. like six pack. No, 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 no. Going back bit, to comic books, I, I have I have read comic books. I've seen the ads in the back where somebody kicks sand in a nerd's <laughs> face, and the guy who helps him out looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a comic. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the guy who popularized the like. Ah giant muscle man a-list movie star though like that wasn't really a thing before him like ugly people could be movie stars before that <laughs> walter matthau could headline films people could be stars <laughs> lots of ugly dudes like were movie stars <laughs> okay, but you wouldn't call them hunks. leading men even yeah leading men for sure now i just i, I feel like just an old man sometimes like like all the kind of like you know you know, good-looking leading men these days all just kind of look the same to me. They all look like Ryan Gosling. Yeah, sure. It's like I mean, half-grown beard, the short hair. You know, nothing distinguishing them from anybody. But that could just be me. I don't know. No, I do. <laughs> oh, I get that vibe. Yeah, they're yeah. not who I would go for, but like, but I there get- are. There are interesting looking at like I th- somebody who, who who's interesting looking that like we were just talking about. Uh, he was in Rogue One. Uh, uh, he played the evil Empire. Uh, oh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, maybe? No, or no, no, no. Of, ben uh, Mendelsohn. The babe. Oh, Mendelsohn's, oh, Mendelsohn's good. Yeah, I like Mendelsohn. He has yeah. an inter- or someone like Sam Worthington. Like they don't look like atypical kind of movie Wait, stars. What the Sam Worthington totally does. So handsome, and he's on you like think... Law and Order for a million years. I don't know. I think he's kind of got an interest. He's got a more interesting look than. Like, and he was a handsome young man. No, I'm I'm not knocking Horse Jansen. I'm really not. I, I I just. Man, hey, it's fun. Man, like to walk around without a shirt. It's cool, you know. If it works for Carolyn Monroe, who am I to say? I always like. She always looks just a little perturbed in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Slightly confused by everything that's <laughs> like, going on. 
Well, she's kind of relegated to an observational role. Her character is pretty interesting. Like, I don't know. What do you what do you see from a narrative standpoint? What do you think the purpose of her character in the film is? I think personally, I think she was meant to be kind of like an entry point for the audience. But I don't know that she actually fulfills that function the way it, the way it winds up. Right. Yeah. If they had expanded her character more, she could have been like a fun sidekick to Captain Kronos. Yeah, like because she doesn't even really like complicate things that like her like oh. I agree with you. I think that she I think she's supposed to bring kind of like a humanity to it because otherwise you have this larger than life protagonist <laughs> with his like silly hunchback. Oh, yeah, the bat. Is this an attack scene or a love sequence? can't it be both there's two sex scenes also that shit happens in real life when i lived in australia we had a giant mango tree in the backyard and around dusk all the bats would come out of it and they would just like dive bomb you if they saw you so i've been hit in the face with a bat before and that like kills me every time i see it how how much rabies have you had in your life oh my god not enough not enough rabies (laughs) not enough to justify a five i know i saw i saw the movie wreck and i feel like any rabies is too much rabies. I think when you're back to talk about Carolyn Monroe's character, again, if this movie just had a little bit more humor, like I think her character would pop a little bit more. Yeah. It is a little bit nice though to have a character. And again, I I'm sure I'm far from the first person to point this out, but it is neat that in the canon of hammer, we do have a female lead in this movie who isn't relegated to simply being a damsel in distress at any point. Two actually, because this one here is a pr- uh, pretty good villain. Yeah. yeah let's talk about uh, Paul and Sarah, the androgynous adult children of uh, the bedridden Lady Durward. I would listen to the folk band that they would eventually form had things not gone the way they did. <laughs> Wanda Ventum, that's the actress's name. First off, like, there's definitely an incestual vibe going on here, right? We all, absolutely. But that's we all acknowledge that. That was just kind. That was just the thing back then, though. Yeah, true. And then, what's with like? What do you guys think with the fact that they are made to look like one another, like like so closely? Well, I mean, isn't that the ultimate fantasy? (laughs) Allie, I'm gonna need you to explain (laughs) that last statement. Or Look, say we all want to fuck ourselves. Because we know what we like. I I think it's interesting that they're they're a little more like neurotic and insecure than your typical hammer villain. Yes, and I I, I find that really fun. compelling in some ways. They're Baron Meinster, like year one. Yeah, yeah. They're Baron Meinster if the if the if brides had allowed Meinster to be more of a character than he is, you know. And I like Meinster, but I think like this is if you if you gave him some humanity and you really fleshed out like what would this person really be like, it would it would be Paul and Sarah. Can we talk about our hero having been rough with our heroine to the point where she is uh, 
bleeding here for a second? Does anybody find this scene a little? That's I mean, that's that's a weird lead in for him to uh, start diving into his backstory. I think. Well, he had to work out his aggression, and now he's feeling uh, vulnerable. Who's looking up something about that right now? Are you researching like this whole scene? I like. <laughs> he's he's typing in uh, "drag me to hell." Was Christine bad? <laughs> Get over it, man. She was. And then he found he found an article that said "drag me to hell" ending explained. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, you assholes. I was not the one typing a second ago. What do you guys think about the ring Kronos wears with his cool insignia on it? I want one. I want. I kind of want one too. I would wear that everywhere. <laughs> I uh, they were doing a like a you know medieval like Renaissance Fest theme uh, the kitchen at work. Uh, what was it two summers ago? So I decided to come dressed specifically as Captain Kronos just to entertain <laughs> myself. <laughs> why not? That's funny. so I have that outfit. If anybody if anybody needs to borrow it, I've got it. I kept my Wait shirt. A I'm sorry. There have to be pictures that exist of this. We need to post yeah, this on that. Twitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Run alongside this oh. episode. There, I think, oh, there's video of me getting tomatoes thrown at me uh, as well. Or no, oh. I'm throwing tomatoes at somebody else. I take that back. Okay. That makes more sense. Oh, okay. Who would throw tomatoes at you in such an outfit? I don't, I don't believe Anybody. Uh, Larry would have been a long line. We would have made a lot of money. We would have made a lot of money that day. <laughs> so the, 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 his friend was coming to him. Telling him he was a vampire, that he needed his help. He he was posing no threat whatsoever, and still Kronos slugs him. Yep. But that's the help, though. Right? I mean, why would he go? He's going to Kronos because he ultimately knows what this means, and he needs to be, I think, put down before he hurts someone or turns no, someone get else it. into a vampire. But why not just walk him to the chair and tie him up? Why you got to slug your pal when he's in because what if tower? what if that was a ruse? What if that was a ruse to get Kronos to think that he is, you know, because there's always like that scene in the vampire movie. The vampire is like, oh, you know, help me come close, blah, 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 blah. blah and then they bite you. So maybe that was that. Maybe he that was just. That would have been one hell of a dumb ruse had he done that instead of just sneaking out. Well, on I'm just saying, Kronos don't take no risks, man. You know, <laughs> life's too short. Tell me that the man getting tied up right now should not have been played by Peter McNichol in a spoof of this. It would have been. <laughs> oh, Peter McNichol should be in every comedy ever made. He is a genius. Oh yes, of course. Oh my god, he's so funny in that movie. Um, so I love this scene. I think this scene is really interesting and, and sad. This is really sad. This is like one of the few moments in a hammer film that draws like real emotion because like you, you believe their friendship, like their friendship feels real and authentic in the film. And I also like that he can't like, there isn't a definitive like way to kill him. I like that, that he has to try different things. I think that's really a really interesting scene for a vampire movie as well. That could have been amazing in a spoof. Could you imagine them going through the list of like, oh, let's try across steak, holy water, <laughs> sunlight, fuck anything, running water. Of course, I don't think they had running water uh, back then. That was something we learned on the what the AD seventy two episode with you guys. Oh yeah, uh, purifying uh, water from above. I also think that. Um... 
Carolyn Monroe's character not being in the room and being outside sort of watching and looking in and, and thinking about what's happening, that that's a really good use of that. That's one of the few times the movie really uses her well. Cause I think it, it provides again, like a human lens to the shit these guys are having to do to their friend, <laughs> you know, which might get lost if you just stayed on them the whole time. That's a neat sequence. I got to say, I haven't seen anything quite like it in any movie really before or since. Yeah. Well, and, and it's especially, again, it's especially compelling because this is their friend, you know, when, when they first meet in this movie, you get that great, like you son of a bitch moment, you know, where they both look at each other and they're like, I hate you, but I love you. And then they hug, you know, you get they that slap hands and their oh, man. biceps yeah. bulge. That's it's that's where that came from. That scene yeah, wouldn't have happened. That that would not happen in without cinema without that moment. That was the the genesis of the you son of a bitch moment. Poor bastard. He came in like Carl Weathers. Now he's going out like Sonny Landham. Anyone predator? I mean, anyone that anyone that can come into anything like Carl Weathers looks like Sonny Landham. Proud. Oh my he god! Could, he could have been. He could have been a leading man. <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that Sonny Landon's death in Predator is fucking terrible. A lot of the deaths in Predator are pretty terrible. It's not a great movie. Yeah, I said it. Wait, what? what? Predator 2 is a better film. Oh, come on. I don't know it about is, all that. It is a better come film. Come on. You're, now, you're just, now, now we're just going into nonsense. I don't know why we have to do that. I'm not. No, are you, are you really going to You think, okay, I'm not saying right I don't like Predator 2. But Predator 2 is fun. It's a fun movie. I like it. But it's not a better film than Predator. That's it is. Okay. Well, I respect your opinion. <laughs> I don't agree. I, I don't know that you do. I do, I do like that we're all like wrapped <laughs> by this movie. This, this no, is like I, the, this, this, this has got to be no, a I wasn't, I wasn't wrapped the by the phone. film I, that time. That to me was like the audio equivalent of like a staring contest, and I was not going to play. <laughs> you know, you know what makes for a, a great podcast fodder is is the audio equivalent of of staring contest where no one speaks. Hey, <laughs> you, you blink. That's first. as good as it gets. You blink first, and that means that you acknowledge that Predator Two is superior. I saw that goes. I like Predator 2. I, it's not a better film than Predator. It's easy. Easily better. I don't know. I, I've just never been. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I think that Predator 2 is such a great film. It's just that I think the Predator is not. There, I said it. Fuck, I feel better. I love Predator. I think it's great. Okay. It's fine. I haven't sat down and watched Predator in years. I, I think I still enjoy it. I liked it a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, I love it's got a great... I've never seen Predator 2. Predator it's... 2 is, is trashy, but it's very fun. Well, I like trashy. Wait, yeah, is it's, it like it's... Predator in the city where he has to get like a work? Yeah, yeah. And there's like a there's like a murder cult. <laughs> there's like this whole other crazy plot line. Like it's and like this gang of it's great. Um yeah, I, I have no problems with Predator 2. I just it's yeah, I think Predator 1 is kind of a masterpiece, to be honest. I, I, I think it's 
one of the great movies of the 80s. Oh my god, Mike, did you send this to just me or did everybody else get this too? I sent it to everybody who I've got on Instagram. Okay, because I'm going to, otherwise I was going to throw you under the bus so bad, like, woof, look at this babe. <laughs> Paul, what's your Instagram? Uh, I'm at the same as my Twitter. Paul is great 2000. Mike, that is amazing. It's Pretty so- right on, right? There we, we go. We, it, with your permission, we are throwing this up on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. That's this, what it's uh, there for. I'll send you the video, up. too. <laughs> oh, Paul, you did mention something earlier, and I agree with you. There there are elements of this film that very much feel like a Western, but it's very much a Hammer Western, which reminds me, for whatever reason, moments like this remind me a hell of a lot of the finale to uh, Django. Like the Sergio Corbucci Django, not Django Unchained, or any of the 70 other fucking Django movies there are. <laughs> I was going to say, that Django is a pretty wide umbrella at this point. Well, I mean, <laughs> Django has, too. Hey, it's very good, yeah. But it has that kind of like that perfect melding of like the gothic and western tropes, you know, smashed together. And I, I, I think the final sequence in Django is very much like that. Like, it, it really is like, fuck it, if Hammer made a western. But then... You're right. Like you watch Captain Kronos and it's like it totally has that too. Yeah. But it needed yeah, some I, more. I, it needed some more sword play, I think. But not enough sword yeah. play in this movie. I, I agree. I think like, yeah, because that scene was great, but it's over really quickly. But man, do I love the framing. But like how he composes these shots, like where the graves are poking out and the people in the background. Like it just it feels when it hits its stride, it does have kind of an epic feeling scope to it all. Um, that, yeah, I think it's just hindered by its budget more than anything. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. It, it, he didn't have the money to create the world that he's hinting at. Allie, are you okay? Why? Because I coughed. I'm sorry. It's not COVID. No, I, I thought th- I heard like a cough, but then like a thud. And I was like, OK, was that is that well, is... that wasn't me? I just coughed because I'm just I'm feeling a little a little parched, even though I'm on like, I don't even know, drink one of the drinks. OK, it's fine. I was just checking. I'm just, cool. This movie makes me very emotional. I love that he's voguing. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's when you get towards this montage of like a twenty-minute scene of him just making a sword. <laughs> I would if it was twenty minutes, then eventually it would get really funny. Like <laughs> it would be funny. The again. first, the first five minutes would probably be like, oh my god, and then I feel like minute six, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, how long is this gonna go? And then like seven to eight, then you start thinking, okay, this is pretty funny. Minute ten, it's 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 great. Twelve, it's not funny anymore. You know, it's kind of annoying. But then when you hit like fifteen, you start cackling because it's hilarious. That's kind of like the walking scene in Jerry. Um, I, I think there could be nothing funnier though than that exact same twenty minute montage that you described. And all it gets us is that piece of shit sword that he comes up with at the end of the film itself. Because <laughs> after all that work, that's what he gets out of it. Yeah. I concur. So I do think this is a movie that's ripe for a remake that I would be excited about. 
And oh, do, yeah. Do we have to remake it, or can I throw this out there? Can uh, we just do a standalone sequel? Like, again, you know, it's... Uh, good. It's like, you know, if, if you've never seen the previous movie, if you just walk in, you know, if you're uninitiated, you could watch the new Kronos movie and get it. But if you have seen the previous movie, just dances. Well, yeah, probably. But I mean, you know, do the Flanagan thing and just, uh, you know, recast all the characters, but still keep it in canon with the previous movie. I I would dig the hell out of that. Well, if, and, he, was, if he is a time traveler, yes, you could do that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that I, being the case, if we're going to keep it in canon, I'm sorry, Paul, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You finish your thought. No, it's just who 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 do we cast in 2021 as uh, as Kronos? Who who takes the mantle from Horst? Chris Evans, obviously. Oh no! <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> I, uh, I can also see Mads Mikkelsen doing it. Fucking hell, yeah! Yeah, I can see it. It's that bad. It's that. It's a good choice, I think. Yeah, I like Mickelson. That's a good idea. Allie, it literally yeah. just as Ali said that, it cut to a shot of Horace Jansen looking like Mads Mickelson, more like Mads Mickelson than ever before. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, you, you blonde his hair up a little bit, you know. Let him grow it out, then he can just wear probably his normal clothes for because I feel like this is how he dresses. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, uh, yeah, just go ahead and bring in a uh, Julian to uh, to double. <laughs> yeah, you would have to dub him. That is, you would have to dub him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you would cast. Uh, uh, but I would. Who the hell? Okay, Mike. This one goes to you. All right. Who replaces Carolyn Monroe I, today? God, I've been. I I knew you were going to come at me with this, and I can't. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, and I, I wanted to, you know. Um, oh, I know. Uh, I'm going to mess up her name. Uh, the chick who played Paloma in No Time to Die. Ana de Armas. Oh, my God. Mm, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, you nailed it. That's good. Who All plays, right. Who plays Because She could essentially exactly. do what she did Palo- do it with Paloma, except do it in uh, Captain Kronos. Okay, if we weren't casting lookalikes, but just casting off of vibes, like, you know, spirit of the character, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he'd be a little more diminutive, but hear me out. In the same costume and everything, how about Toby Jones? In this costume? Yeah. Okay. I can could, I could see Toby Jones. Yeah. But also in my mind, if we're just doing it based on essence, in my the first thing that came to my mind was John C. Riley. <laughs> Actually, oh. that's like a game busted. But like he, he had played like, straight though. Straight. Could he, he can't be straight? Play it funny. But uh, him as Doctor Steve Brule. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, Mike, I'm, I, I'm, I am with you. I do wish that they would, uh, they would find some way to continue this. I remember when, um. Uh, um, exclusive and hammer were both brought back around the time that uh, the resident came out, you know, just before uh, the woman in black, they were talking about various things that they could revisit. And on the docket, they had talked about um, doing another version of the abominable snowman, I believe. And they were talking oh, about really, uh-huh. well, that's one of my favorites. And they were talking about doing um, uh, a, a version of captain Kronos that would have been more in line with, something more modern like Blade. 
Um, well, because he's a lot like Blade. Mm-hmm. And he was intended to be part vampire, like, because he was supposed to sleep in a golden coffin in the original script. That's a neat idea. Uh, There is a novelization that came out in 2011 when Hammer was publishing novels uh, during the early... Yeah, I thought that was odd when I saw there was a novelization. I assumed it would have been from 72, but that they would release (laughs) one so late. No, that's the thing. They actually released uh, uh, like novelizations. It kind of like what in uh, what is it? Encyclopocalypse is doing right now. They took modern uh, authors and were like, "Hey, can you adapt this old film as a brand new novel?" They did that with. Uh, it's so fucking weird what they chose to do, though. They did Chronos. They did the Revenge of Frankenstein. Uh, that is they, weird. Yeah, not even Curse of Frankenstein. Yeah, like Revenge. Didn't. What a weird one to pick. Uh, but they did a handful of books, and then eventually they just kind of turned an eye toward uh, uh, doing originals. The they would like you know pick up novels, distribute novels that they would maybe look at adapting uh, later on as films, and then it just I don't think they did that even once ultimately. But well, I think you know to your point, Mike. Like I think Chronos would just work today. Like, I think it would work really well. I mean, we, we live in a superhero culture. Indeed. Perfect. Like, he would he would fit right in. <laughs> uh, and and it, would, it would be cool to have something like that for the horror crowd, you know? And you could so, create a cinematic universe around him. Oh, yeah. You could rebate Hell the yeah. whole Hammer thing. I don't know. I'd, I'd talk about pipe dreams and IP could, uh, and all that, but... Cast Luke damn, Evans in the lead... He could, uh... Well, the first sequel they had proposed was Kronos meets Dracula. They were going to do a Kronos Dracula movie in the scripting phase. They were planning two follow-ups. They wanted to make a minimum of a trilogy. Um, and they talked about doing the next Dracula movie as being a Kronos Dracula mashup. Fuck and that's that where they were going to start doing some of the time travel stuff. Because they were going to bring Kronos to 70s London. Which is where Dracula sort of was. Oh wow, they and, were going to bring. They were yeah, gonna keep yeah, it that was continuity. proposed. Oh, yeah. that would have been. Awesome. And and they had a weird one where like Kronos was going to encounter Frankenstein. Like they were going to bring Cushing in, and it was interesting. But um, how fucking cool! Fortunately, yeah, uh, yeah, that would have been great. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, um, Carreras just did not like the movie. Didn't think it was Hammer, and felt like he had been betrayed. So he kind of sabotaged it. Um, Dick. Yeah, uh-huh. like he purposefully wanted it to fail, which is utterly bizarre to me. Because uh, it didn't it didn't do poorly in the U.S., but uh, it had almost a, a nothing release in the U.K. I know this was at Elstree, but why is it that, that last sequence struck me as being uh, very Bray in a way? Hmm. Like, this totally does look like Bray in a sense, like, especially the interior. Part of it is how he shoots it. Uh, he shoots everything really close. Like, everything feels a bit confined. Um, and depth of field, I don't know, like, it, it feels a little a little flattened in some ways, which is kind of how Bray felt because they couldn't get far away because <laughs> they were just shooting in, like, a living room. <laughs> So they just had to go where they could. You couldn't, you know, it's not like a studio where you can take a wall down or, you know, do whatever the fuck you need to do. Like Bray was just a, a, a really nice house they were shooting in, essentially. Um, so, I mean, some of this and and he 
similar to uh, Kiss a Vampire, the director like watched because he wasn't like super well versed in horror. So he went back and watched like a bunch of Hammer Vampire films to get the look and feel down. So he was like basing his visual style on like older Hammer movies. What do you think accounts for Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde then? Because that to me is like, even though it's kind of very modern in its own way, it's also very, very steeped in, in, in what we would know to be like hammer tropes, I think. Yeah. It, well, he didn't direct that one. He didn't, but I mean, he had to have been familiar. I think the writing, well, the writing of the movie though is, is pretty, I don't know that I would say like the writing feels completely ha- altogether hammer. You know, I think some of it feels pretty distinctive, but I mean, it was probably just a good fit, you know? So now we got the big climax, which I don't know. Does the climax live up to the buildup of the movie? No, I I think it's, again, it's like, a movie, a movie that I love that just like you just want more out of it. Yeah, I think the ending is on par with everything that we've seen before. Like there's it's it's very much that sword fight that we saw on the hill and in the bar. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, that's a really neat idea. And, you know, the rest of it, we just we're just kind of coasting on the charm of all that's come before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, so I guess okay. Let me let me pose that question then to all of you. Like if the if the movie is a, is ostensibly like to an extent we call it a genre bender. Certainly it is, and part of that is action, and yet the action is, you know, adequate. It's workmanlike. It's it's just fine. You know, then what is it about this movie you think that? you know, we we love so much. Well, I think a, that's a problem with a lot of uh, maybe the hammer films and it's just uh of the time like it's not the kind of action that we'd like to see having grown up in the 80s and uh seen you know wilder action as movies have gone on you know like predator uh like maybe brian clemens just wasn't (laughs) as he, he wasn't an action director he looked at the old hammer stuff but you needed somebody with a little bit more panache with sword fighting and yeah. stuff along those lines to really make this stand out and pop. Well, even, even beyond the action, I mean, you know, over the course of this commentary, we've talked about how much we love the movie, but we've also kind of poked and prodded and, you know, poked holes in it a bit too. And I'm just wondering, like, what, what do you think it is about this movie at its core that, you know, that, that, that sort of makes it so damned endearing. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a nothing answer, but I guess the vibe and that's no, I, th- that, I think that's I, I think that is a perfect answer because it's something that, that for, we can't really quantify in a way. I think well, I agree. a lot of hammer is just that vibe. There's something yeah. about it. The the tropes that you love, the, you know, large breasted women in in corsets, uh, the the what do I say? The carriage going across the countryside, the any number of things that you see in all these movies that you like, it's like a warm blanket when you're watching it. Yeah. So, No, I agree. I no, sorry. Uh, I just, yeah, no, I agree with you entirely, Mike. I I think that's it, and I think you know we can try and break this movie down to, 
you know, the script and the direction and the acting. And, you know, we, we can try and pull it all apart and see what works about it. But I, I, I think what it really comes down to it, and not only this, but a lot of Hammer movies, we can talk about what we appreciate, you know, the individual elements. But really what it comes down to is Hammer more often than not just presents a world that's fun to live in for 90 minutes at a time. I I agree. And I, I would also add that, um, you know, the best Hammer films, uh, as Terrence Fisher always referred to them, felt like fairy tales for adults. Right. Like and I think this movie is an extension of that because some of that fairy tale storytelling went away in the late 60s um, and it got a little bit. A little bit preachy here and there uh, with some of the uh, the heavy Christian overtones. Um, this movie goes back to that fairy tale storytelling. Um, and, you know, yeah, it doesn't execute it quite as well as, as Fisher might have. Although I do think this ending visually in terms of how it's composed and the lighting and everything is something that Fisher would have probably given the thumbs up to. I think it, it feels more like his direction than, you know anything else um but i think i think that sort of fairy tale notion that that kind of has adult leanings that are a little bit darker and more complex um make that vibe resonate a little bit more and harken back to something you know dark dark but innocent um in terms of how it's set up and and that has a certain degree of comfort associated with it um that I think horror can sometimes bring that, that people don't often immediately associate with the genre, you know? So I think this movie really harkens back to some of those earlier hammer films in that way. Yeah, I could agree with that. And I, I, I think that's it with hammer more often than not. You're right. Like horror generally tends to try and uh, upset and uh, hammer rarely does, you know, it's, I mean, how many how many Hammer movies can you count that actually upset you or disturb you or genuinely frighten you? You know, uh, uh, I don't. More know like, that I they're can... more like thrill rides, sexy thrill rides too. I think that's another thing about Hammer is that they're always kind of, you know, there's there's a certain sex appeal to them. Yeah, Hammer glamour, indeed. Hammer glamour. The other interesting thing is uh, this is one of the few Hammer films where we don't know who the villain is till the very, very end. <laughs> you know, usually we know by now. It usually uh, follows but, the villain, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's this is an interesting play um, because like the Karstein element, <laughs> Karstein, which is, <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, yeah, not told to us till right now. And she would have gotten away with it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it wasn't for that meddling Kronos. <laughs> if it wasn't for that meddling time-traveling monster hunter. That's the thing. Somewhere. Okay, we keep talking about a follow-up. Like, how cool would it be to see a prequel to this? Like him earlier in time. So cool. Or younger in the We future. could see him coming back from the war and finding his sister and mother dead at the hands of vampires. So I did mention earlier Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell and this being a double feature, being kind of like a Shane Bryant double feature. Uh, interesting actor. I, I thought it was cool to actually see him in um, 
Oh, not only in this, but to see him pop back up in uh, Monster from Hell as... Fuck, I've forgotten his name. That's embarrassing. It's my favorite uh, Hammer thing ever, uh, that cycle, the Frankenstein cycle. But he plays uh, Cushing's sort of... uh, His Hans, as it were, in uh, Monster from Hell. Hmm. I actually thought he was quite good. There's, There's almost a moment near the end of that movie that makes one believe that had they continued on the Frankenstein cycle, you know, maybe the reins would have been passed along to him, you know, the younger actor, to sort of carry on. But, uh, you know, sadly, that was the end of it. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think it takes a little too long for it to get to the big sword fight ending. Lots of staring. <laughs> lots and lots of staring. Staring intently. The children <laughs> of uh, the villain are a bit ineffectual, too. <laughs> I don't know what their purpose is. And a, a simple design for a villain, but the hooded uh, figure in the woods that we see right here is very cool. It's nice. It's simple. Yeah. And it's... He's staring pretty hard, too. Like, this is this, the whole climax. 90% of it is just people staring. And it's invigorating. Well. Yeah, I, I I agree, though. Like, this would be the best, out of all the properties, in terms of, like, the legs they would have, this would be the best one to reboot, like, that, easily. That was a great reveal of the side of the face and then the fangs mm-hmm. coming out. Yeah, and that's kind of the first real, like, traditional hammer vampire fangs. <laughs> like, we've got, we got fangs earlier, but they weren't, you know, they looked a little different. That is such a great shot with her reflection over his eyes. Yeah, it's phenomenal. How was that not the DVD <laughs> cover? Like, <laughs> what, him crawling in through the window? No, the holding <laughs> the blade up and reflecting like her eyes, you know, over his face. Just a neat, neat image. What would the Criterion cover of this movie? Ah, be? there you go. <laughs> Classic Halloweenies question. Um, That's uh, a maybe picking question. up the dead frog. Ah, uh, that uh, the, the gentleman with, with the with the no eyebrows in the bar. Oh yeah, <laughs> there you go. I do love that they, I mean, it is neat, you know, yeah, this isn't, this isn't the greatest sword fight ever committed to film. There's, there's no Fairbanks on display here. No, but there are a couple of moments where, or at least one moment there where they play with the frame rate a little bit. It looks almost a little bit like the opening of Saving Private Ryan, you know, just for a second. Couple of cool things about this sword fight. Um, No stunt doubles. It was the actual two actors. Nice. Uh, they, it took them weeks to learn it, and they it took three full days to shoot this scene. Well, and, I see now uh, why at that pace they needed eight fucking weeks to shoot the entire film. Yeah, three days, <laughs> and 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 the director asked for another day because they're missing. They actually didn't get ten additional shots that were storyboarded and intended to be a part of the fight. So the fight had to be truncated in, in editing because they couldn't get it all. And uh, the one guy, 
I'm trying to remember his name. Hobbs, something Hobbs. Uh, the guy that he's fighting yeah. with was a renowned uh, fight instructor. And he appeared in a handful of films in fights because he could do it, but he wasn't like an actor. And um, he actually got really hurt during this. Uh, the sword at one point went in between his fingers accidentally, like half an inch. Uh, and it took, uh, yeah, like he was, he, yeah, he was out of, out of commission in the industry for like m- many months afterwards because of this film. Do we, how do you all feel about the fact that you, the villain of the piece is very much Lady Durward, right? Mm-hmm. But we yeah. have to pass the action of the film along to a guy to complete. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. why, why couldn't, you know, why, why couldn't Lady Durward pick up a sword? Why couldn't she and Kronos go at it? I, I, I think that would be far more interesting than, uh, you know, and but it's not that this is bad. To do. Yeah. Well, and also it's a ultimately boils down to a damsel in distress, right? Like Cronus has to come in, save the day, save Carolyn Monroe. Only for him to eventually ride off and yeah, leave the woman behind. <laughs> Just like a Western. That is interesting. The whole, uh, well, I'll see you. Yeah. yeah, I ha- I I got what I wanted from you. See you and never. <laughs> Although it is interesting, though, that they bring her back in the comic book. And I think it kind of writes that wrong in a way where it's like, you know what? This this trio should have should have continued on. I mean, the ending suggests that Carolyn Monroe knew what she was getting into. (laughs) She doesn't seem uh, too surprised. (laughs) No judging Carolyn Monroe's character, but I think she kind of does what she wants. She was she was into stocks for dancing on the Sabbath. <laughs> it's true. How dare she? Dancing on a Sunday. And, you know, she doesn't need Kronos to uh to fight monsters after this. I'd like to think that she went off on her way and uh had her own adventures. <laughs> she saw this and I ain't dealing with this shit. This is too much. <laughs> <laughs> this is above my pay grade. One of the interesting things on the Blu-ray is there's a commentary with Brian Clemens and Carolyn Monroe. Oh, I would love to pick that up. I would love that. Yeah. um, And they both talk at length about, you know, and it's, it's a little sad because Clemens talks about how he wished he could have directed more and um, that the movie didn't really afford him the uh, opportunities that were promised to him when he signed on to do it. Um, but they have a, they, they seem to have a great relationship and, um, you know, have a lot of really interesting things to say about the movie. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Could you imagine, I mean, if this was his initial effort as a filmmaker, I think like he could have done some really, really great stuff going on into the late seventies, eighties and beyond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I think I I actually think he did a really good job in this movie, all things considered. Yeah, and I I would have liked to see him develop. You know, again, this was his first movie, really. So, who knows what his you know trajectory would have been? But you know, if you only made one movie and that movie was Captain Kronos Vampire Killer, like <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good movie to. Only that's make. a good way. That's a good uh, note to go out on. Yeah, for sure. 
or Vampire Hunter, rather. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, you know, he did well, he did good, and so did Kronos. Kronos did what he had to do. Look at him strutting away, hunky son of a bitch. <laughs> see, you've come around on it. I see it. Took me a while. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, this movie, I think this movie's more influential than it it may seem. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about how it feels like a lot of modern directors, like, or movies sort of feel like this one. And I, I, I would not be surprised at all if it wasn't an influence to some of those filmmakers. Well, how many monster hunters that were also men of action did we have before this character? I mean, Van Helsing to a degree, but even then, like you can't compare uh, uh, Peter Cushing, God bless him, you know, running across the tabletop and pulling some curtains down to the <laughs> swashbuckling shit that Kronos gets up to. And now how many do we have? Like how, how many television series, how many movies, how many, like it's such a thing, right? That marriage of action and horror in a hero character in movies like that. Well, I but, feel like that movie Van Helsing uh, with uh, Hugh Jackman, I think, owes a lot to Captain Kronos, doesn't it? Oh, my yeah. goodness, yes. Oh, my oh God. absolutely. Yeah, yeah Und- that, Undeniably. It was, <laughs> it was meant to be an extension of Universal, like classic monsters, but it's totally like spit and polished hammer through and through that yeah. film. Yeah, for sure. Did they uh, did they just run the film in reverse from the beginning during this closing <laughs> sequence? And we can't quite tell because it's obscured by the text. It would be funny if you could see the carriage going like backwards <laughs> up the hill. <laughs> no, so um, yeah, no. Overall, like gang, what do we what do we think about this movie? I get the feeling that we're all going to give it a thumbs up. That's that's that was. Thing spoiled from the off, but overall, like just revisiting it for this chat, it had been a while. I got to say, yeah, movie's a blast. Like it's it's a gem. It's the Van Thumbs Helsing up. film. I wish we got. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I mentioned it earlier. It's one of my favorite uh, Hammer films, hands down. Um, it's so much fun. I know we you know we had our we talked about some gripes and things that didn't work, but ultimately it's just a blast and it's it's so unique amongst their filmography and like anytime i talk to somebody who's like oh i want to get into hammer this is one that i always put on my recommendation list this is this is good primer hammer i think yeah i don't know what would uh, that's a that's an interesting thing to bring up like okay mike ally paul you're trying mm-hmm. to get somebody into hammer for the first time what three movies do you hand mm. them Oh Only man, three. that's yeah. Three's tough, but this one, he's tough. Brides, and honestly, that Dracula eighty seventy two one, I love that one. See, um, on that same tip, like I'd love to say Captain Kronos and eighty seventy two because those are two of my favorites. But I feel like that that needs to go to somebody who like already is aware of Hammer. Yeah, but like you need to see something different because if you think about like hammer as you know what hammer is you gotta go with what mummy dracula uh, I, mean, I guess but mummy dracula and like curse of frankenstein right 
I would go Curse of Frankenstein, Brides of Dracula, and the third movie I'm not sure about yet. Uh, I would, mine would probably like make Jinx roll his eyes, but I would probably do Curse of Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula, and uh, Curse of the Werewolf. That's what no, you know, no, 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 no. Why, uh, you, you get a two out of three is pretty damn good, Paul. Um, <laughs> he doesn't like Curse of the Werewolf. I think it's one of the best ones, but I, I, I would argue though that it's still a pretty pivotal film and uh, an interesting one. It know. might surprise you that I would not argue with that. <laughs> I also think Phantom of the Opera oh, uh, would be a yeah. great pick. Oh, um, yeah. And especially because that was like their intended prestige picture. That was the movie that they were hoping was going to like elevate them to this whole new level. And you can tell when you watch, I mean, that movie has money behind it. Um, And it's gorgeous and amazing, but it just did not connect. Unfortunately. You know, if I were trying to introduce somebody to the breadth of like hammer, I would, and this is maybe a reach, but hear me out. I would do Curse of Frankenstein, Brides of Dracula, and hear me out. <laughs> Probably? Oh, fuck. Okay, it's a toss-up. Either Plague of the Zombies or oh, Quatermass yeah. or Mass in, the Mass in the Pit. Yeah, I was, I was thinking Quatermass <laughs> in the Pit, too. That would be... Both those are good options. Solid. Yeah. So, yeah. I, my, my wild card would be Kiss of the Vampire. See that. I, I think see that. I think Kiss of the Vampire might actually deserve a spot because it's a great bridge between the traditional gothic and the you know occult that mm-hmm. they would they would dive into in later years. Hey, Allie, how about you? What is what is your full three? I just said them. I, I only heard two. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Drag me to hell. Yeah, of course. And then Drag Me to Hell again, because you have to watch it twice. And Predator. And then Predator 2. <laughs> and then Halloween Kills. You know, yeah, we're moving on. Mike what, is, Mike, what is your three? Uh, let's say... Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula 80, 1972, and... I might have to agree with Plague of the Zombies. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's a great movie. One of my favorites. It's it, it shockingly good to, to the degree that, like, I don't know why more people don't talk about it. Well, especially when you're talking about zombie films, it never comes up. And, like, you know, when you see these, like, best zombie movies, and it, it's never on those lists, um, and yet it predates Night of the Living Dead and, and has tons of the visual iconography we associate with that subgenre. Right. So I don't know. It's a great movie. I agree. That's a that's a good pick. Agreed. Okay. Somehow, some way, we have made it to the end of this commentary <laughs> for Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Ooh. Now, before we go, let's talk about where folks out there can find everyone and what you have coming up soon. Mike, you go first. You can find me back on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. You can find me <laughs> on the Halloweenies podcast at Halloweenies Pod, and you can find me on Windy City Double Feature Picture Show, uh, where we're doing we find a we recreate a double feature from that uh, played in Chicago and give a little history of the movies. Uh, the two movies that were on the double, 
other movies that were played around town, a little Chicago history, a little history of the theater that it played at. Uh, those are the three best places to find me. I'm going to make it there one of these days for a double feature. One day, someday. This one, by the time this, by the time this airs, I think we'll, I may have already run, but we're doing, uh, for Noir Vember, we're doing White Heat and Too Late for Tears. <gasps> oh, I've never Ooh. seen the last one. And White Heat's going to be in 35 millimeter too. <gasps> Ooh. That's exciting. I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm from, a, we've talked about this before. I'm, I have family in Chicago. That's where I, I grew up South Suburb of Chicago. So I'll be back in town in February. Great, we'll uh, be, I'd be so, doing something. So uh, yeah, so I'll reach out to you when I get closer and figure out what you guys got going on, and I'll absolutely I'll, I'll swing by, man. Rock on, Allie. How about you? Well, you can find me across all the social media platforms at the Allie Chapel, and the one really cool thing that I'm really psyched about that's coming up is if anyone happens to be in my neck of the woods, end of January, I'm going to be starring in Evil Dead the Musical. I, that's awesome. One, that's amazing. <laughs> Two, Allie, when the hell do you sleep? I don't. And like, even getting this room <laughs> such like a, like even today, I'm like, okay. In theory, I have to be up early because I have to do pickup shots for a film for the next two days. And I'm like, eh, I'll go to bed when I go to bed. It'll add to the character. <laughs> <laughs> backstory. Exactly, just backstory. <laughs> it's just my character has to look tired, anyways, so it's fine. <laughs> But no, I'm really excited. I hope people can come out to see Evil Dead. Uh, this is my second time doing it. The first time I played the Annie Shelley character, and now I'm playing Cheryl. So I get all the best lines, and I get locked in a cellar. So it's I'm really excited. Allie, you tell me what hashtags to use. You tell me who to tweet. And one day, someday, we're going to push hard enough, and you will, by God, play Ash one day. My God, that's all I want. Just slowly do a one-man show of Evil Dead the Musical. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want to see that. A one-man show. That would be hard. I'd be impressed. There are so many ensemble <laughs> numbers. Like, <laughs> I feel like there is that one stretch in Evil Dead 2 where it's just Ash in the cabin. Like, if you expanded just that sequence and kind of adapted it a bit, you could you could do, like, just it's one person in a cabin going insane. Fuck, I, mean, I want to watch that movie now. Everyone rewatch it, then get psyched up that everyone come and cross the border and come to the worst part of Ontario and see this musical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, how about you? Yeah, you can find me at the very modest Twitter handle, uh, Paul is great 2000 um, And I, uh, you can, you can see the things I'm doing and writing about, uh, Recent articles, uh, I had a couple things go up in October for Bloody Disgusting. I had a thing on Monster House. I had a thing on the Halloween franchise. And I had a Hammer article on Brides of Dracula. Uh, and coming up in the next probably few days will be a new Hammer article on Bloody Disgusting for uh, 1966's The Witches. So that should be up soon. I love the witches. Proto folk horror. So just in time for Severin's new box set. Oh, heck yes. All right. Thanks all three of you for being on and for chatting some Kronos. I, I, I think it was a fun episode. Uh, Probably the one where we watched the most of the movie, I think. Was <laughs> which I, love. I actually it's really real think boring. Listen to us watch a movie. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Thanks, y'all. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much. And holy shit, before we end, what are we doing next week? What is what is the next movie, folks? Hang on, listeners. It's going to be Monster from Hell, right? Is it? Or I, I... To Devil a Daughter, because we didn't do that one before, but I guess all of our stuff got switched around. It did, yeah. Okay, hang tight, listeners. We're gonna figure this shit out in real time. All right, let's just uh, <laughs> somebody quality podcasting. Somebody, 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 give me some music. Hum something. Just uh, I said hum. Damn it, help me out. Oh. Do this Jeopardy like. <laughs> Nobody's gonna commit. Nobody. Nobody's gonna. You know what? Doesn't matter. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about how good Predator is. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, shit. Better wrap this up. Uh, yes, indeed. Next week is going to be Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Following that is going to be The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Then we're going to be on to To the Devil, a Daughter. And then we are done with Classic Era Hammer. Wow. So we're, we're oh. nearly, we're getting to the end of it. Mike, now that you're an honorary co-host, uh, <laughs> When yeah. are you coming back? Well, when do you guys want me back? I could do, uh, what do you guys do? What, do you, what, what is the next one? I missed it. I was spacing out. <laughs> <laughs> it's Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And then what's after that one? Uh, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and then oh, to the I'll Devil of I'd love to come back for uh, vampires. Rock on. All right. Keep on, keep, on the, keep on the same vampire tip. Yeah, oh, God, good, good point. Okay, rock on. Well, we'll be back for that. We do need to find, uh, I think we need to find a guest for Frankenstein and the Monster from Mel. I think I have one guest, but we'll uh, see if we can't pack the house a bit. Uh, and at and some Nolan, point... Nolan will join us for uh, Seven Golden Vampires as well. Yes, excellent. All we'll full house. It'll be fun. Okay, so with all that said, again, thanks to all you listeners out there. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to cut it short and say we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Paul, Mike, say something. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, we're ending strong. <laughs> well, I thought the oh, two God. buys was like enough buys, but, you know. <laughs>